Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less... My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. And of course, we're here with our good friend TK Coleman. Sending love and holiday cheer to all. Which holiday? <laughs> hey, man, every day Flag is a day. holiday. <laughs> every day is a holiday, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You just got to bring it. And that disembodied voice you hear is our favorite disembodied voice. <laughs> Alabama is here. Hi, everybody. We've got the rest of our team here in the studio as well. And we're going to do our best not to tear up during this episode because we have a big announcement. But as you know, this is a listener-driven show. So if you have a question for the show, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll answer your question on a future show, or you can send in your comments, your minimalist tips as well. Today, we're starting with a question from Patreon. Kaylee has a question for us. In your recent False Self episode, the camaraderie between Joshua and Ryan is profoundly uplifting and appreciated. I truly love watching your friendship evolve. How has it evolved over the past years? 32 years. And how do you think it will evolve going forward? 32 years indeed, Nicodemus. Yeah, man. You're getting old. Yeah, I know. It's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) If we weren't friends, I wouldn't be getting this old. (laughs) Actually, I would say you actually keep me younger. It's been really good, man. Wow. Wow. I I don't know what my rigidity is like. It gives you bounds. Uh, No, you got good energy. And um, dude, in a way, you've played my conscious a lot in my life. You have Mm. um, been my mentor. And... Yeah, man. Like, no, the 32 years, like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't forget a day of it. Okay. I forget a few days, but (laughs) there's a lot I don't forget. Yeah. Especially like, uh, like 2004. (laughs) Couldn't tell you. (laughs) What the heck happened in 2004? (laughs) In fact, we have a photo tour we're going to go through today of the minimalists over the years Mm -hmm. from 1981 until today. In fact, we have, we have one photo from the future. Oh, wow. We're going to go through that as well. But we have a big announcement. I want to start there, and we're going to address Kaylee's question head on. Um, Big announcement. I got a new shirt. (laughs) I thought I'd notice something different about you. (laughs) What you really need is a pack of cigarettes, though, to roll up in those sleeves. (laughs) That would would be cool. (laughs) I want want the cigarette in his ear. In his ear? (laughs) I think TK's right. Uh, if you listen to the, just the audio version of the podcast for today's 400th episode, that's right. This is episode number 400. I'm wearing a special shirt. It's just a, a purple shirt. Yes. We're going to talk about clothes later in this episode as well. But no, the big announcement is after six years here in Los Angeles, Ryan is uh, making his way back to Montana after this episode. Yeah, man. Me and Mariah are going back. I was going to say going home, but... I was just in Ireland for three weeks. That kind of felt like home. L.A. kind of feels like home. Yeah. Uh, you know me. what? I'm, I'm going to use the Dr. Bush line. 
if we're on this planet, we're home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really do feel back, that way though. Yeah. Yeah. Going back is kind of like a funny way to speak, right? Because mm-hmm. the places aren't, it's not going to be the same as, as of when course. You, of course, the last yeah. time. It's changed a lot actually. But Yeah. And you're not even going back. You're going forward yeah. to somewhere. Yeah. And I think we'll be talking about this a lot today. It's okay to glance in the rear view. And we're going to do a lot of that as we look back at what we've done as the minimalists over the last 13 years. Mm. And I just want to be clear, Ryan going back or going forward to Montana. That's a very, that's a good distinction, man. I like that. I, well, I, I think that the the key here is some things will obviously change around the podcast mm-hmm. a bit. He'll be calling in regularly. I just want to be clear about that. Ryan is still you know, co-founder of The Minimalist. We are still The Minimalist. You'll still see him. In fact, Ryan. Yeah. We have this for our audience for the days that you aren't here. Oh, yeah. This is sexy. My good friend. <laughs> you can go to my camera here. I got like, an, I got like another week before I move. Um, can I borrow that for a little bit? <laughs> you, uh, no, I, I'm going to have to clean it up first. <laughs> Again, if you're listening to the audio oh, version of the podcast, which most of you are, there is a cardboard cutout of Ryan mm. in our studio right now. <laughs> so whenever he calls into the podcast, you'll get the... Uh, well, this version of him. And uh, it's actually not wearing pants. So you guys can't <laughs> see that on camera, but just know, tidy whities Tidy whities <laughs> Anyway, we'll be checking back in with Cardboard Ryan, 2D Ryan, in a bit. Yeah. When you think about it, the 2D version of you is maybe the most minimalist version of Ryan. <laughs> you know what? 2D might be too many dimensions. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, that one D. Oh. Just turn you into a line. <laughs> turn me into a dot. <laughs> There's a chain of thought you got to finish, though, because y- you were saying to our audience, let's be clear. Here's what it does me. Here's what it doesn't mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, what, what, here's what it does mean. The podcast is still going forward. Ryan and I started talking about this years ago. Mm-hmm. He's been wanting to find his way forward to Montana mm-hmm. and absolutely loves Los Angeles, loves the work that we do through The Minimalist. And we've been talking about over the years, we've tried different iterations to try to make it work. But back in February, we started planning what are the next steps of what we do. And we had a few yeah. options we could put on the table. We could just dissolve The Minimalists. Yeah. I realized recently, this is the first time we're going to be living in different states since I think we were 10 years old for any appreciable period of time. Yeah. You right. moved to Florida for, you know, six months or whatever yeah. at one point. And, yeah. and so for the last 32 years, our friendship has evolved 15, 20 different times over that time period. Yeah. And it will continue to evolve as we go forward. But that also means the podcast evolves. And we put these options on the table. Do we just walk away from the, the podcast and the minimalist? And I'm always willing to walk away from anything because if you're not willing to walk away from something, you're forever tied to it. And then it becomes a burden. Hasn't that been the whole point of the minimalists is we're willing to walk away from anything, even the minimalists. Yeah. And we're going to be talking today about endings and how endings can become new beginnings as well. And if you don't like the term ending, we can use terms like recalibration, recombobulation, reconfiguring. And so today we're facing one of those yeah. events, yeah. an ending and a new beginning. Yeah. You could call it a graduation. Mm. I mean, like we can still call it ending, but that's kind of 
how I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Gra- graduating from Los Angeles, graduating mm. from this version of The Minimalist, which, by the way, we've gone through several iterations of The Minimalist. When we started mm. the the blog, it was just a blog in 2010. Yeah. And then we went through the touring iteration. We've gone on 10 tours over the last 13 years. Um, and we've gone through the podcast, the films. There's been a bunch of different iterations of The Minimalist. I'm excited to talk about yeah. what is going to be coming next. But I, I thought... I'd also mention that Ryan and I will continue to work together on some projects, but we will work separately on some projects Mm -hmm. as well. I've got some book ideas, film ideas, different things that I'd like to do. Ryan's got some stuff that we'll talk about here as well. And so I wanted to use this time, Ryan, to interview Ryan Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. Joshua Fields Milburn interviews Ryan Nicodemus. I I would love to to start here. I I do want to say, I think... I think there is, um, and maybe we cover it on the private podcast, but there's a very valuable lesson I think we can tweeze out of how we got to almost dissolving the minimalists. There's, yeah. We're skipping around. It's not for the sake of transparency as much as it is like the sake of really sharing something with our audience, you know? Yeah. 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 I think we're going to get really vulnerable today on, especially on the private version of the podcast, some things we want to talk about with respect to our own lives and mm-hmm. and recognizing this point that we were getting that what what we had to recognize to get where we are right now. Yeah. And while I see this as an a type of ending, I really see it as a new beginning, a new beginning for the minimalist, a new beginning for us, our friendship, but also mm-hmm. a new beginning for Ryan Nicodemus. So I got a few questions for you. We're going to start off with some softballs and we'll just see where it goes from there. Let's do it. By the way, it sounded so funny. You were like, I know exactly what you meant, but you're like, we're going to get vulnerable on the private podcast. <laughs> Reminds me of like those wrestling fights as kids where it's like one wrestler would come out and get ready to fight the other guy. And they're like, these guys are going to fight, but only on June 25th at the UIC Pavilion. <laughs> $80 a ticket. <laughs> there are a few things we don't want to talk about publicly. And so we thankfully have the the private podcast to do that over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. So Ryan, I know you've been looking back at Montana for a while. Mm. My first question is, going forward, what are you most excited about with respect to getting back to Montana? Mm. Um, there's a there's a system of support in Montana that I need to get a little bit more of. Um, at least five more years, if not 10 more years. Also, Mariah's parents, uh, they've got some greenhouses and um, they need some help with just like garden work. See, this is how I know I'm old, dude. I'm excited about garden work. <laughs> I'm like, can't wait to get to them gardens. Like, oh, I'm like, oh no. That's how you know you're evolved. Yeah, ex- yeah, yes. evolved, right. Yeah. Porch sitting, one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so there is a system of support that I really look forward to getting access in Montana. Mm. That comes down to nature. It's a beautiful system of support. It comes down to um, having access to a lot of that as well. A lot of nature. Um, being there with uh, just some friends that we had to, you know, kind of thin the relationship out a little bit when we moved out here. So looking forward to um, getting them back in the fold and supporting each other with what we need. Um, I got a buddy there who, uh, it's it's Mariah's best friend. And you know what? We're, what's mine is Mariah's and what Mariah's is, is mine. So he's my best friend, Montana friend. Anyway, so Kelsey, um, he uh, plays Frisbee golf. So I'm like looking forward to like playing with him. And like he's got a couple other buddies. It's dude, I've been not playing a ton, a ton, mm. but like um, it's something that Montana has like two Frisbee golf courses within like, 
I don't know, a 10 minute drive of our house. Yeah. We're in LA. It's like, you know, 22, no traffic, an hour with traffic, <laughs> which it, that's, I'm not complaining. It's just, you know, it's more convenient to like do some of that stuff out there. Um, but also when it comes to, I don't know, man, like, uh, like the arts in Missoula, it's like such a low barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to go audition for a community play, I could probably do that and like get some of that experience. And I didn't do that enough in Missoula. Um, the world outside of Hollywood. The world outside of Hollywood, right? That's what they call it. It's a nickname, actually. <laughs> I, last night, actually, I was telling Ella, my 10-year-old daughter, because she was talking about she wants to try out for a play at some point because one of her friends was in a play. Mm. And I told her your story of when we first moved to Montana together, you tried out for a play. You got the lead role. You stumbled your way into the lead role of a play, even though you didn't have any experience in the performing arts. Yeah. And I thought that was so fascinating. I think that is sort of the synecdoche of Missoula. You can accidentally stumble your way into the lead role of a play. And it it seems like L.A. would be the place you go to for something like that. But mm-hmm. it's actually a place like Missoula, Montana, where yeah. things like that happen. Yeah, because like there's just a lot of culture per capita there. I mean, it's the same thing in L.A. Um, but yeah, it's just like a little gem. I actually kind of feel bad because... Josh and I have talked about it so much. Like I was in Montana uh, a few years back walking down uh, in Missoula, like in the city and two people stopped me and they're like, I'm here because of you and Josh. I was like, oh no. <laughs> like, How many people do we get to move out here? Because it is like the population is kind of booming and like housing is kind of a, an issue. And, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to go back there and deal with all that too. All mm. the newness. Yeah. You were kind of saying it earlier. Like it's definitely changed a little bit, Yeah, but, uh, Hard to hard to change those mountains, man. What about L.A.? You're mm. obviously going to miss some things. You've fallen in love with yeah. L.A. over the last six years. What am I going to miss? Yeah. By the way, I love that about you, that you you don't have to hate on L.A. to move away to some other place that you love. Like, yeah. it, it's so easy for people to just kind of be, uh, well, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, polemic about it or, or, yeah. or advice about it. Like, oh, L.A. stinks. I, but you can say that you love just about every place you've been. So I, I appreciate that. But anyway. Hey, man, you you know, I always think about um, when you say things like that about how, uh, I'm going to butcher your quote, but it's, you don't have to believe, you don't have to not believe, you just have to listen, take it in. So um, you've helped me get there is what I'm trying to say, TK. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which I don't, which it's really easy to get there because LA is freaking awesome. Um, and so is Ojai. And so is the rest of the freaking world. And I'm glad that I get access to this place. Mm. What am I going to miss about it? Um, I will be here so much, like a part-time life in LA. Mm-hmm. I don't really plan on missing anything. There that you makes go. Any sense. You know what I do plan on missing, which this is going to sound so vapid, but I, I saw this question. And I was like, what can I say that I am going to miss? So you're going to have to like help me out with this. Um, at Whole Foods. They have these Thai curry cashews <laughs> that are out of this freaking world, dude. And I can't order them on Amazon in Missoula. And I can't uh, I can't go to the good food store and get it. And I don't want Whole Foods. If you're listening, Whole Foods, do not come to Missoula. <laughs> <laughs> or if you do, just open up a cashew store. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you're listening, just send me a box of Thai curry cashews. Anyway, um, <clears throat> no, I, uh, I I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that's one thing that I'm not going to have access to. Mm. It's like s- little things like that. So there are some conveniences that I won't have full time access to, but. 
distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, and I think that's when I say, what are you going to miss? Quite often, for me, the things that I miss are the things that I enjoy the most because if I didn't enjoy it, then I'm not going to miss it. Mm -hmm. If I have pain in my knee, I don't ever miss, oh, I really miss having that pain in my (laughs) knee, right? No, when it's gone, I'm like, yes, this is great. But like, for example, with my wife, if I spend every waking moment of every day with her, I don't have the opportunity to miss her. We Mm. don't have enough distance to create that same desire. And so maybe you'll even desire those cashews more now that you don't have immediate access to them. Yeah, yeah. What are the... um, What are some of the hardest lessons, or maybe the hardest lesson of the last 13 years since we... December 10th, 2010, or December 14th, rather, 2010, we started the minimalists.com. What was the, what has been one of the most difficult things that you've learned over those 13 years? Man. um, Hmm. And do you have a favorite thing? Let me speak to this question that you have right here, Mm -hmm. because this is, because it's kind of a different question. The question is, what was the hardest thing to do these last 13 years? Mm -hmm. And that is 100% leaving the same state that you're in. Mm. That's the, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Wow. Talk about that. Um, oh buddy, like you've just supported me so much Mm. and I'm going to miss it, man. But I know, I know you'll still support me out there. And it's still possible to support someone from a distance, right? (laughs) So for me, the relationship is getting thinned out as an extrovert. I'm like, oh, and Josh, as an introvert is like, it's getting stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so I want to kind of have a, um, a clear idea of how to picture this because Mm -hmm. I know you guys are close, but you also live in very different parts of LA. Mm -hmm. I know y'all aren't hanging out every day, every weekend, kicking it. You have different types of hobbies you like to engage in. Mm -hmm. So what does it actually look like in day-to-day? Some random, completely average Wednesday afternoon. What does his, him being far away look like for you? On a regular Wednesday afternoon. Well, not all my Wednesdays are the same. I think I understand what you're asking, though. Uh, it's having the access to Melbourne. And I, I see him more often than you think. And uh, definitely more than you and your wife, buddy. We're going to do dinner ever, dude. Can we do dinner before we go? Can you commit to everyone on this podcast right now that we're going to freaking hang out before I leave? I, I just praise them for being able to love other places without hating on L.A. I, I take it back because he clearly can't love Josh without hating on me. <laughs> well, Josh is a good friend, unlike some other people. <laughs> some like other people who, I know. Who don't know how to hang out. <laughs> it's funny that I'm seeing the dichotomy here because I don't see our relationship changing appreciably. I do see it. I literally see it strengthening. And especially the conversations we've had over the last five or six months at this point, I see a growing stronger weathering some discontent in our own relationship. And I think the relationships that thrive are the relationships that are able to handle conflict without blowing up, without going nuclear, without saying, all right, it's time for World War III. But it's being able to say, hey, we disagree about these things. Now, Ryan and I are such appreciable different people. I was uh, brought my daughter to a pet store not that long ago, and they have these chinchillas there <laughs> that I guess you can take home, but you can have own, you can buy two. They won't let you buy one, apparently. Because you have to buy two. They need someone with them all the time. And I realized, oh, Orion right. is a chinchilla. Yes. <laughs> and it's not just all the body hair either, <laughs> which is really soft. <laughs> But he would know. (laughs) Ryan being the extreme extrovert, he um, is always with Mariah. Whenever Mm. I hang out with Ryan, it's either for the work stuff that we do or it's with Ryan and Mariah, right? Mm. He has this other 
chinchilla with him, right? Yeah. And what is fascinating about that is I know that if I were to live his life, I would be miserable. And and the opposite would be true. Mm. And this is one I why I have problems with prescriptions. Mm. Because it, you should live this way. You should behave like this. You should do these things in this sequence. Mm-hmm. You should use these ingredients in your own life. And you can give that to someone. You can hand them all of your ingredients. And now they're making something, but they don't enjoy the taste of it. Yeah. And what I love about Ryan's and my dynamic is even though our personalities are utterly different, um, we're able to appreciate and respect the, the fact that, hey, you're different from me. I don't mm-hmm. need you to be like me. There was mm-hmm. the longest time I did. I, if I, I'm living the right way, and I think I'd just convince Ryan to live the right way too, which sounds like what? It sounds like a really dogmatic religion. Uh, and I'm not using... I'm not using that to be pejorative, but it sounds like an ideology. If this is right, therefore you must be wrong. And Mm. our relationship has transcended that because, A, we're both able to step back from that. Ryan has taught me how to step back from needing to change other people. And because if I needed to change him, then I would just always be miserable and I would make him miserable as I changed him. I would would say you taught me the same thing. Yeah, man. I got bifurcating thoughts right now. We're going to go back to TK saying about the Wednesdays. So, uh, dude, like having lunch with... It has to be a Wednesday specific. Right, exactly. (laughs) So Tuesdays, um, Josh and I get lunch more often than not. Sometimes we don't, but sometimes we do. Yeah. I like those little lunches. Yeah. You know? Um, I... uh, It's it's weird because like it's it's, it's having the access, like it's something that um, I didn't even realize I was kind of um, really... It's not, it's not needing, but it's like the comfort. Mm. It's like having a family member close by. Yeah. Having like one of my best family members close by. Because Josh and I, I mean, you have no idea. Like we, and, and same thing with Jerome. I mm. mean, we've had to be each other's family in a lot of ways, you know? So, um, yeah, like it's, I'm, I'm kind of moving far, farther away from a family member I like. I'm okay to move away from the family members I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that's yeah. easier. Right. That's way easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> the... Uh, the other thing, yeah, I lost it. That's all right. Do you remember what, what you were talking about before I went back? Well, I was going to ask you, Of you talked about some of the hardest things, but this is going to be the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite thing that we've done since we started The Minimalists? My favorite thing um, that we have done? Do you have like a, a really f- a favorite memory that you, of course. that you hold on to? Of course, dude. I mean, as far as you and I are concerned, yeah, that year-long tour was like priceless man yeah and like i mean we had no that we had no idea what the hell we were doing yeah and josh is like we're going on tour for a year and i'm like oh are you sure and he's like oh i'll do it yeah we got to do it man i'll do it on my own if you want and i'm like come on man like you know i'm gonna go with it i'm like i'm not really worried about me (laughs) and josh is like no like we got to do this and um that's probably the, that was that was 100% the catapult to all of this, dude. Yeah. I mean, we had we had been the minimalist for however long, but that tour, like, really, we're still mm. getting things from that. Yeah. You know? And when I say things, it's, you know, obviously, I'm not getting a couch or anything from it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, actually, I'll phrase that a different way. Um, we are still able to really give a lot from mm. that tour that we're still giving from directly related. I mean, just, you know, our, documentary minimalism just came back out 
Um, and it's on YouTube for free. So that's pretty awesome. That thing is still giving like that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it's funny. I, uh, Sean sent me a screenshot yesterday. As of this recording, it's been out for about a week and over 2 million of you have watched the documentary on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It quickly became our second most popular video on our entire YouTube channel, mm-hmm. second only to the trailer for that same movie. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah. And so a lot of people, now that it has this new it's life, a, it's warm. but you're right. We went around with Matt Diavella that year. He was sort mm-hmm. of in the backseat him and his camera equipment and lighting and all this stuff. And we filmed something that has stood the test of time. And we're able to go back and look at it now and say, wow, Mm. uh, I do have some uh, amazing fond memories from that. Some of my most fond memories are in Fargo, North Dakota together. No, how weird is that? Yeah, we did, uh, not only did we do a TEDx talk in Fargo, but we spoke at this conference three years in a row Mm. called Misfit. And we even... um, we took our documentary and screened it there for the first time. It was not even the, the finished version. It was a 2015 version. Standing ovation. Yes. It was amazing. And in Fargo, North Dakota, yeah. I realized something. While I hate the weather of Fargo, I like everything else about it. Yeah. And it's almost as though I was talking to Mallory about uh, to, to Mallory about this before the podcast. But there's something about Fargo, the weather conditions these people in a way or weathers them in a way that brings out the community and the niceness. And I'm wondering if something uh, is true with Missoula, because Missoula does not have ideal weather for someone like me who values the sun probably a little bit above anything else. Um, But there's something about the harshness of these climates that brings out some of the best in people. 100%, man. I was going to ask you, I was writing down here. I wanted to ask you about the sun thing Mm. because vitamin D is important. Yeah. So the question is, can I, is it possible? We should get Paul Saladino on the lines. Sean, call Paul. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Is it possible to get a, like a UV light? Yes. And like chill under that in the Mm -hmm. mornings? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, there is one, I'll try to put a link to it in the show notes. I'll find it. It's one that Paul Saladino talked about because he lived in Seattle, which is very similar to Uh, Missoula. Okay. And when he lived in Seattle, there is a, there, there is a, uh, a daylight light, it's not the same thing as the sun. It's a supplement, essentially, right? Yeah. You can also supplement with vitamin D as well. So taking vitamin D and doing the UV light, mm-hmm. I'll get twice the crappy supplements. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so this question, again, you kind of asked it in a different way. So the question was, what was the hardest thing to do these last 13, 13 years? And then favorite thing. Yeah. So in relation to me, it's... It's uh, it's moving back to Montana. Like this is like, I cannot tell you how good I feel about it, dude. How will it be different now than it was before? I mean, a lot will be the same, but Missoula has changed a lot. Montana has changed a lot, especially during the pandemic. A lot of people move there. But how will this be different? Because you're not going back. As we said, you're going forward. This is the end of one thing for a brand new <laughs> beginning. What's going to look different there? Yeah. Um, I am going to tap more into nature for sure. So that could be, I don't know, man, actually, I'm not even going to say what it could be, but that's, that's like one of my major contexts moving back to Missoula. I got a lot of nature when I was there, but like, there is a, there is a, for example, like I snowboarded maybe half a dozen times a year. I am going to, you know, go as much as I can. Yeah. I don't want to put a number on it, but I would like to. Cause I snowboard enough to where when I snowboard and then by that sixth time, 
I'm like, oh yeah. And I can do double blacks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I go even more than that, like now I'm learning new things. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to kind of learning new things with snowboarding while I'm still kind of youngish. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually still Mariah's, an rock star. Mariah's dad kicks my ass down the hill and he's like 73 years old. That's really what it is. I just want to beat him down the hill. <laughs> he's a skier, which makes it a little bit more difficult, but I can do it. <laughs> I do you ski it. by the way too? No, I tried once. It was kind of a bad story. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and then I do remember uh, what I was going to say earlier. You talked about uh, not changing people and dude, the platinum rule is like, I cannot tell you how that has come into play in my life ever since I've heard you talk about that. And it's funny because I'll try to share it with other people. And I start off with, and I'm like, <clears throat> do you know what the golden rule is? Hey, Mallory, do you know what the golden rule is? Oh yeah. Treat okay. others the way you'd like to be treated. Okay. Yeah. Because everybody's heard us say it before, I guess. But you would be shocked. Over 50% of the people I do this with, they're like, oh, I've never heard of it. What? I'm like, so then I'll tell them the golden rule. Treat people how they want to be treated. And they're like, oh. And they, anyway. But the platinum rule is pretty amazing, which is treat people how they want to be treated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes. Because if I treat you how I want to be treated, maybe you don't want to be treated <laughs> like me. I do want to get back to one thing you were talking about with respect to access and having access to things. And I, I think what happens... Uh, we tend to take things for granted when we have unlimited access to them. It could be mm, friends, yeah. close family. It could be the cashews at Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, if we have unlimited, unrestrained access to something, it's inevitable. We start to take it for granted. We don't have to. But when I wake up in the morning and the sun is coming up and then the birds are chirping and I'm like... I just take it for granted. This is the way that things are. And the only way around that is to appreciate the things I even do have access to or to limit my access in some way. Now, mm. that can be through ascetic practices where I deprive myself of it for a period of time, or it can be what you're doing right now, creating some distance. And I can see in mm. many ways our relationship improving through the lesser immediate physical access to one another. Mm. I mean, you still got my my phone and we're still going to FaceTime and all these other fun things to supplement. These are supplements, right? Mm -hmm. But then the times we're together in person, when you come back to LA or if somehow you convince me to come to Missoula, <laughs> Montana. Uh, in fact- Convincing is not consent, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I, in fact, this is, the, this is the one thing that will get me to go back to Missoula mm. now. I don't think anything else would have gotten me to go to Missoula but I can see myself now finding a delightful path back there yeah. because my best friend's there. Yeah. Hey, that's love, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. We got a lot of it. There's a lot in this room. <laughs> so you're moving. Are you getting rid of any material possessions? Ooh. Oh, yeah. We just, it was funny. We were going through some stuff uh, just yesterday. And um, we, we have like these old dive computers and we sold those and. Um, Mariah forgot about the appointment. Sorry, Mariah. Told me to, <laughs> I forget appointments all the time. I forget way more appointments than she does. Let me just say that. Yeah, if this was a competition, Ryan would have a championship belt. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I do it to display dominance. <laughs> trying to train Mariah. So uh, she was an hour late. The dude was meeting us at our place. And she was, an, <laughs> so we're there. They're, he's there, but like, they didn't have each other's phone numbers, I guess. Anyway. Was, so we, she was there. Yeah, she, she messages him on, it was like Facebook Marketplace. Okay. Hey, are you still here? He's like, yeah, we're still here. An hour later, he was waiting. Anyway, so we got, we got rid of the dive computers um, and the dive equipment because I don't think we're going to be doing that anymore, especially uh, leaving LA. I got rid of my surfboard. I was throwing axes. 
And um, when you throw axes, you have to have a coach. And so it's polite to tip the coach. And like, just through talking with him, he's like, I just move out here and want to go surf. I'm like, give you a surfboard. He's like, no, I was like, I have a surf, but this is a surfboard I can give you. But like, this is your tip, dude. This Ryan is tips and surfboards. I tip and surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> he was so stoked. When I came back and gave it to him, the look on his face was like, oh my God, the dude actually came back and gave me a surfboard. Wow. Yeah. Um, you want me to keep, want me to keep going? Those are probably tell, the two tell most me about exciting that. things. So, so, but people surf in Missoula, folks who haven't been to Missoula, there is a surf wave on the Clark Fork River down there, but I yeah. assume you need a completely different board for that. I, it probably would have worked, but I have too many hobbies as it is. Mm. So, and honestly, like the joy that he got from me getting that, from me giving him that surfboard, yeah. um, to me, that joy was bigger than my desire to surf Brandon's wave, <laughs> if that and, makes any sense. Well, yes, but also if you decide you want to pick it back up, then you can get the ideal board that actually works best for that scenario yeah. instead of trying to drag these old possessions from the past and fit them into the new chapter, enforcing the new something. version of you. Yeah. One thing I like about your process is it wasn't based on prediction, but it was based on decision making. In other mm. words, you didn't look at the surfboard and say, is there going to be a day in the future where I have to have it and I regret giving it up? Mm. But you just made a decision like, do I choose to keep this in my life or not? In light of other priorities I have and other things I want to do, I choose to let it go. And you, you kept the power in your locus of control rather than putting it out there in like realities you can't predict. I think that's something useful for me as I'm simplifying some things in my life. Yeah. It's, it's choice, not prediction. Yeah. Are there any new things mm. you need to buy for your move? We got to figure that out. Um, so we, there's a little bit of a gap between when we can move in and when we get there. So we've How got long? like, uh, like a week, okay, two weeks, three weeks. Movers take a little, little while to get there. So, um, yeah, there's, we got to make some decisions. We're getting rid of our couch, uh, that we have here that I really, really like. Um, yeah, it's for sale, Mallory. Don't tempt me. I'll give you I, friends and family really discount. Like I'll charge couch. you twice. Hey, man, talk to me about <laughs> we'll work, that couch. I, I felt we'll work, something. We'll work, we'll work something out. <laughs> oh, the couch was just yeah. like, I mean, if there ever was anything I did intentional in my home with furniture, like all, most of my furniture is like, people are like, hey, I've got this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take it. I need that. Yeah. Like my bookshelf is one of Josh's old bookshelves. My rug is one of his old rugs. Um, my wooden uh, entertainment thing that I have, like that's our friend Rebecca's, um, Rebecca Schaefer who I was in the play with in Missoula. Um, yeah. So, but this couch was like, it was just something that I went out of my way to like really get something that mm. I liked. And I don't know what spurred it, but it's just, it's real simple. It's like a Dutch from the fifties, like refurbished yeah. uh, minimalist couch. And you were able to see it when you walked in my home for about a week until Max started scratching the heck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's all covered up. <laughs> Was it like a nap couch, reading couch, watch movies couch? It's an eight foot, it's an eight foot, whatever you want to do couch. Man. And you can fit so many people on this couch. Wow. It's like, you can fit four people on there and it's not like that weird, uncomfortable thing. It's, yep. it's like, I could lay down and there's still room for like two people to, to sit. So that's, that's tough to let that one go. It's not tough. No, yeah. it's just the thing that I'm letting go. Why isn't it tough? Yeah. Oh, um... I talk, love that it's not. Yeah, you talked yeah. you talked about it earlier, dude. The the willingness to walk away from anything. Danny, I'm sorry, you gotta get this out of my 
periphery. This is really messing with me. <laughs> He's talking about the cardboard cutout, cardboard which, by cutout. the way, it's been downstairs in our little writer's room. And every time I walk in there over the last few weeks, it has terrified me. I just I think Ryan's to move it. It's the best spot for it. I just think Ryan's hanging out in there watching me. <laughs> I let the architects downstairs borrow the room for a while. And they're like, hey, can we use that? I'm like, yeah, yeah no problem. Just Ryan has to sit in on everything. Right. And they're like, what? I'm like, it's the cardboard cutout of Ryan. He's, he's going to be there regardless. Don't that's, get too freaked that's, out. That's awesome. No, the willingness to walk away from anything, it is a superpower. And we say it all the time. Yeah. And some people listening understand. Exactly yeah, and so it doesn't that mean that you dislike the couch now. It just, for whatever reason, does not fit into this new chapter. The moving aspect of it, or maybe mm -hmm. it's older now and Mac has scratched it up, or whatever it is, it doesn't fit in the new chapter. Maybe it just doesn't fit into your new home mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. If it doesn't fit, then of course I want oh. to like. Oh, he's gonna do. I the, knew it. I know it. You're not. You're not Johnny Cochran. As much as you aspire, <laughs> he blew it though. You blew it. You're like, if it doesn't fit, it's like the universe put you in that position and you did something else with it. <laughs> if it doesn't fit. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, if, yeah. He's a, he's acquitted. Yeah. If it doesn't fit, you must sell it uh, <laughs> or donate it or whatever. Yeah. But what I've. What I've seen here is that willingness to let go isn't something that just happens overnight. It's it's almost, it's not a practice in the sense that you need to force yourself to let go. There's no forcing here. Mm -hmm. But when you stop clinging, when you stop holding on, here's what happens. You get good at letting go. Your ability to let go increases. You build up this letting go muscle that allows you to let go of anything, even these prized possessions, even the things that once upon a time you're like, I would never want to let go of this. Dude, I didn't realize it, but we've been doing the Sedona method from the start of this. Yeah. <laughs> Practicing releasing. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I let this go, right? And, yeah. and, and and would I let this go and win? Mm -hmm. And this is your win right now. Now, for some people listening to this, they might recognize that, yes, I want to let go of something. Mm -hmm. It might be a couch. It might be a relationship. It might be an old pair of jeans. It might be a new t-shirt you just bought. It doesn't fit you that well. <laughs> Whatever it is, there's something you might want to let go of. But right now is not your win. There's a little bit too much pain associated with it. Mm. So the first thing to do is just hold on to it and look at it and say, mm. am I willing to let this go? Would I be fine without it? Yeah, okay. Maybe I can't let it go yet. But I know that somewhere in the not too distant future, the thing that is burdening me right now, if I let it go, it will cease to be the burden. And when you see that, when you recognize the things that you're holding on to, the things that added immense value to your life, joy to your life, the relationships you held on to, the career you held on to, the school you held on to for so long, if I continue to hold on, it becomes a burden. And if I want to let go of that burden, I just have to let go of the thing that, is, that has become a burden for me. Mm. So Ryan, you, uh, when you're moving there, I assume you'll be buying some new things. You'll figure all that out. You'll report back to us, I'm, I'm sure. Well, we'll get to to do a new minimalist yeah. home tour yeah. of, uh, of the new space once you're all settled in there. But pivoting over to another question for you, what have you changed your mind about over the last 13 years since we started The Minimalists? Man, um, well, I mean, I can talk about how I've grown 
So, you know, when we first started this in Ohio, it's like I knew that we were doing something that was going to be really impactful for us and potentially for other people. And then we moved out to Montana and um, it was kind of like a perfect storm of this, you know, letting go, simplifying, you know, doing the whole uh, Walden Pond thing mm-hmm. in Phillipsburg there. But Montana really like, I was actually thinking about this earlier when you were talking about the play. Mm. Montana really helped me like become what I was when I moved to Los Angeles. And what that is, is someone who uh, isn't scared to be themselves. So when you came to me, that story that we told about, how are you liking LA? And I'm like, oh, it's going all right. But, you know, people are kind of, I don't think really LA likes me. Because I ask them how they're doing and they just kind of sweep me off. Like, whatever, what do you want, dude? I don't, well, you don't care how I'm doing. Stop bothering me. Yeah. And Melbourne was like, well, turn it down or turn it up. And I'm like, oh. I think I will turn it up and it, and it worked. But like, if it wasn't for Missoula, if we moved straight to LA, I don't think I would have been able to get there. I think that uh, the city would have just chewed me up and spit me out. Mm. You'd see, you see me on the corner up there on Santa Monica, covered in glitter. <laughs> in <laughs> Directing the gutter. traffic. Directing traffic, exactly. <laughs> no. Um, so, so there's been a really nice uh, blossoming, for lack of a better word, from Missoula to LA and now LA has given me the confidence to I don't know just to believe in myself a little bit more like I didn't even realize that like I've been ever since we talked about this how many months ago did we start talking about this February yeah so I've just been thinking about this over the past few months knowing that I'm leaving LA and I'm trying to a like do all the fun things I can before I leave um, but also what is LA giving me and it is, it's, it's funny how, I don't know, you know, where I got this, um, but giving me the, giving me more confidence in the sense of, so Missoula taught me how to be myself and, and Los Angeles helped me be extremely confident in being myself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 As uh, we, go ahead. I, I, I would like to hear just like a minute of yeah, unpacking that. Mm-hmm. Missoula helped you become yourself. Mm-hmm. LA helped you be confident with who that self is. Yeah. What does that mean? That means that Missoula, when I left Missoula, I knew who I was. Mm. But coming to a city like LA, you know, it's hard to just be who you are, especially when there's so many different people doing different things and being different things. And um, like fear of looking weird. Uh, not looking weird, fear of being, well, maybe that's a, I would say fear of rejection, which that is a form of rejection. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so you're saying, does, ha- that, does that answer your question? Well, well you said another minute, so I'm trying to think how I can ramble well, for another how minute. How did but. the place that brought this fear out give you the confidence to overcome it? Because it gave me the challenge to, mm. it, it brought the fear out and I had a choice. And had you skipped Missoula, came right out here, you, what you're saying is you may have con- tried to conform to so- someone else's idea of who you should be as, oppo- Maybe, yeah. as, a, as opposed to, well, this is what I'm hearing from you, so correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. <clears throat> when you went through Missoula, you found out who you were, and then you were when you moved out here, you were challenged by other people's perceptions, impressions of you? Yeah. So I said maybe because I was joking about LA eating me alive. If we had first moved out to LA, mm-hmm. would have been fine. 
Yeah. Like we're all, everyone in this room will always be fine. Like, I mean, that's who we are. There, there, you know, I, I used to ask myself, how many decisions away am I from being on the streets? Mm-hmm. And it would really mess with me. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask Josh that. And Josh is like, dude, you would never be on the street. Mm-hmm. He's like, I would never be on the street. And if for some reason we were like, we would help each other get off the street. Like what a silly road to go down. And um, that's what I mean by everyone in this room will always be okay in some way, shape or fashion. Going back to the judgment piece of it. No, it's it's not. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with coming out here and not being able to hand, handle the judgment. It maybe would have taught it to me in a different way. Hmm. You know, the, the past is colored with rose colored glasses. So I'm just kind of looking at how it all unfolded and I'm really appreciative of how it unfolded. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise we can have regrets or anything like that. But mm-hmm. if I'm holding on to, I wish it would have happened differently. This is a problem that I have a lot. I wish mm. I could have done something differently. I wish this would come off differently. I wish people would perceive me differently. That becomes a kind of little prison that I've fashioned myself, right? Needing for other people to judge me in a different way yeah. is causing the misery in me. Mm. And I think what I'm hearing from you, and this is helpful for me personally, is I'm hearing that it enabled you to to let go of some of the the judgment of others. Yeah. um, I think I just want to be seen Mm. with everyone I meet. Yeah. You know? So, you know, and when we moved to Missoula, like I didn't know I needed this. It just kind of happened. But like, what I realized is I didn't even know what I actually wanted people to see, you know? Mm. And then, and that's what I mean by Missoula, like really helped me flesh some stuff out. But I was also going through the, you know, the Jehovah's Witness stuff and like really wrestling with that. And um, that's been a, <laughs> that's been an awesome journey. Uh, Ireland, actually, I got a lot out of Ireland when it comes to that type of stuff, which we can talk about in the private podcast if, if y'all want. Um, but, you know, what LA has taught me is that if you want to be seen, then show people. And it's up to them whether or not they want to see you. It's not up to me, you know? Right. I think even even the needing to be seen, though, I, I don't really sense that in you. In fact, I see the opposite in you. you you're not peacocking. You're not, look mm-hmm. at me, look at me, check this out, look how great I am. And to me, you've never been that way. It's something I've really admired about you. You mm-hmm. don't step out and say, I need to be seen. And so when I when I hear you say, I need to be seen, that's something different from what I think of. Yeah. For me, is like, I need to be seen, so I'm going to uh, punch TK on TikTok. I need, and that's all, gonna, I need eyeballs on me. Yeah. I need likes and clicks and views and all that stuff. Yeah. You mean you mean something deeper than that. You want mm-hmm. to be you want your humanity to be witnessed. Yeah, dude. That's good. Hmm. All right, Ryan. So I got one last question for you as we sort of segue into this new chapter. Of course, the Minimalist Podcast will still exist. You will be calling in from Montana. You're going to be coming to Los Angeles regularly, and we'll drag you back in the studio whenever you're you're willing to come here. Uh, TK, Mallory, the rest of our team will be here as well. And everything is staying the same from that respect. But this is going to be a new beginning. And I see as our work takes us in sort of different directions and our paths continue to intersect and, and bifurcate, what creative projects are you most excited about going forward? Mm. Um, yeah, you know, it is interesting. I'm just going to add to how you teed this up. 
So this moving to Montana is really like freeing us both up to do things, which is really nice. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite things that we do is the hug line. So I'm just going to go around doing hug lines. <laughs> Can't wait. Going on the hug line tour. He's going to have one of those signs. Have you seen the guy who has a sign that says free hugs and there's mm-hmm. someone next to him that says $3 premium hugs? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's a line with the $3 premium <laughs> hug. Now, I don't know how much of that is manufactured. Uh-oh. Ryan, these three words came up, though, during our conversations over the last few months. Small group mentoring. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um... I was going to save that for last, but we'll talk about it right now. Um, I have been on a men's team in Los Angeles that I've talked about a ton. And like a few months ago, I'm sitting there delivering an exercise. An exercise on a men's team is like, you know, you kind of get the men thinking about different things in their lives, perspectives, and then usually have a conversation about uh, what they find, essentially. And... As I'm doing that, I'm like, man, like this is really what I would love to be doing more of. Like this is this is like something that if I took on, like it, you know, it, it would take a lot of work, which is fine. Um, but then we talked about me moving back to Montana and I'm like, oh, this is just, this is God being like, yeah, buddy, you know what? You wanted to do that. You actually could do that if you wanted to, mm. which is really nice. So going back to what I was saying uh, with the touring stuff and the hug line. So my favorite part is when we're in front of that audience, 100%. Like having that face-to-face connection because I'm a guinea pig and I love having 300 guinea pigs around me um, or chinchilla. Chinchilla. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a guinea pig. Tweet that. Because <laughs> I'm a chinchilla and love having 300 chinchillas around me. Um, I get a lot from those events. Yeah. And it is that personal connection. So... Um, I have a passion for, I have a passion for supporting people in the way that I wish I had support when I needed it in my life. Yes. So sometimes it's people younger than me. Sometimes it's people older than me and whatever it is. But if I can, if I see that I can give someone support that I'm like, oh man, I wish someone would have done this for me. Like, I really like having those opportunities. So I don't know what that's going to look like specifically. I do know that, um, yeah, like I'll have a, I'll do like a monthly mentoring thing each month. Just a little month, monthly mentoring message. I'm struggling with the word mentor. Maybe you guys can help me with this. Because like coach seems overused and fabricated. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to Julian Smith yesterday about this actually. And he is a, he's an executive coach. And I'm like, I don't know why, but that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Executive coach doesn't bother me. But I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. He's in a completely different realm. Um, life coach. We can all agree that's out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I love something you said to me early on when you first started mentoring people. You said most life coaches don't have much life experience. <laughs> right? yeah. When you oh. see like a bunch of 23-year-old life coaches. Now, some like, Tony yeah. Robbins was probably a life coach at age 23 and had a tremendous amount of experience by then. But yeah. I think your average life coach hasn't gone through the trauma that you've gone through. I mean, talk about the childhood trauma mm-hmm. and then the corporate trauma and yeah. then the relationship trauma and business trauma in your life. You've amounted all of this wisdom, not through winning and being the best Ryan Nicodemus ever. The best Ryan Nicodemus ever is the result of a lot of 
pent-up trauma and the accumulation of almost residual trauma over time. And the residue from that gives you the experience, not so you can tell people what to do, but you can hold up a mirror for them. Mm. I love the word mentor personally. I'd love to hear what TK has to say about it. Yeah. So I, I think in terms of love languages with this, right? What's the best nickname for my wife? The one that resonates with her and I. And everybody else's opinion is completely irrelevant, right? We live in a world where some people, they get really mad if you call yourself a coach. They get really mad if you call yourself a whatever it may be, a motivational speaker or an executive coach. All that matters really is, do you want to help people? If so, who do you want to help? And how do you want to help them? And what's the love language you need to speak to them in in order to create that connection you want? And if for them, the people that are hiring you that need your help, that are Mm -hmm. blessed by your experience... They, they resonate with the term coach. It works. But if they think that term is creepy and weird, it's just like talking to your wife in a way that's creepy and weird. Like you abandon the language. You don't fight for your right to use it. You say, hey, I'm bigger than this particular word and you find what works. And so yeah. I prefer to like stay out of wars concerning what people call themselves. It's funny, like you get on social media, you got entrepreneurs debating each other about who has the right to use the word entrepreneur, people making fun of each other for the labels they use. And it's like, what a complete waste of time, man. Yes. Who, are, who do you want to serve? And what's the love language for speaking to the people you want to connect with? Yeah, I love that, man. Yeah. I know this isn't what you're saying, but I like the word mentor as well. What you said, though, uh, that made me think of how I might approach this is if people look at it like it's weird or whatever it is. And it's not about looking weird as much as it is like people judging that word. Because I've had people, when I was doing the mentoring on the website, people email me. They're like, mentors are free. I can't believe you're charging for it. And I'm like... Yeah, that's not how I'm doing it. So I'm worried about that type of response. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like it's not about who judges it. It's what I connect with. So I mentor is by far the best word that I can think of, obviously, because I haven't given you any other ideas. How about living coach? I promise <laughs> I will be alive and have a pulse every time. <laughs> Hey, I, I will say this. I don't know what word you should use, but no. but just know ahead of time yeah. that no matter what term you use and how great you feel about it and how much it works for your people, there will be people who make comments about it. Of course. About it's stupid and it's the wrong term. Yeah. So that's inescapable. Yeah, absolutely. We man. faced that for the last 13 years. Call Dude. yourself the minimalist and you realize how like and it's a benign thing to call yourself. I'm going to call myself the mentor. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> if, oh, you want, so if you want to meet with the mentor, <laughs> no. So, uh, no, w- what it comes down to TK is me. It's not about what other people define it as. It's what I define it as. And I got to get clear yeah. on what my context, I do know what my context is, but whenever that, like, is there a better word? Whenever that comes up, it's yeah. like, no, I mean, whatever mentor is to anyone else, like it doesn't matter what it is to them. I'll, right. I will. You're adding the context to it. And so whether you call yourself a coach, a mentor, an advisor, and maybe there's, yeah, there's something to append to that as well. Maybe there has something to do with being stuck or uh, something with respect to trauma. You're a trauma advisor, right? And and all of a sudden that can make people think, what does that mean? He's advising me to how to be traumatized? Oh, no, no, no. He's advising me on how to let go of the trauma, perhaps. Okay. And so what images does it conjure? And what I've accidentally realized through the minimalists is I didn't mean to just frustrate a bunch of people by calling ourselves the minimalists because they have their own conceptions about what minimalism is, right? 
I realized that it, by it being polarizing to at least some extent, mm-hmm. it was more attention getting. It was not my intention early on was to be polarizing to get attention, but that name in and of itself adds this little bit of uh, of tension. Oh, wait, what is that? T- tell me more about that. And even if they show up frustrated and they, then you see the the light bulbs sort of turn on over their head after they they start to grasp what you mean by whatever label you're using. I call it the head tilt. Yes. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Like when I start talking about something, people are like, what are you talking about? And then there's just a certain point where like, that's the moment the light bulb clicks when they're like, oh, like that's what this is about. I live for those head tilts. (laughs) Um, The other thing I'm working on, uh, working on a little secret project, but more more of that to come. Okay. You all know what it is, Mm -hmm. but... But they listening don't know what it is. Top <laughs> secret project coming soon. No, it's not top secret. If other people know, it's definitely not top secret. TK. Well, it depends on their level of clearance. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you got me there, dude. If, if right. Zach Bush knows about it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's probably top secret. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, so folks can go to ryannicodemus.com. They can put their email address in there and you will inform them of the top secret things once, they, uh, once they've received clearance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to get clearance. Just put your email <laughs> at ronnickandemus.com. Well, I got one bonus question for you before I move on to another question from one of our listeners. I want to do a quick F. Mary kill with you, Ryan. Let's do it. Everyone's familiar with this game, right? Mm. So 20-year-old Ryan, 30-year-old Ryan, and 40-year-old Ryan. Who do you F, who do you marry, and who do you kill? Interesting. Ooh. Interesting. Wow. By the way, that I sounds knew like right my away, favorite novelist. I'll, t- yeah. I'll tell you what my answer was right away. I'd marry 40-year-old Ryan. He's fucking awesome. <sighs> I'd kill 30-year-old, 30-year-old Ryan because 20-year-old Ryan and 40-year-old Ryan, both of them know to, how to have the best sex. <laughs> <laughs> but 40-year-old Ryan comes, comes with something different than just what? really good sex. <laughs> comes with a, a matured man. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd F 20-year-old Ryan, kill 30-year-old Ryan, and marry 40-year-old Ryan. Sorry, 30-year-old Ryan. That's my answer as well. Wow, awesome. that nice. was smooth. <laughs> that was good. Uh, we got a question here from Deirdre. Hello, I'm Deirdre, and I'm from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. And lately, I have found myself drawn more and more to the podcast and all that you were sharing. I used to know my style, but now post-pandemic, and as I'm accepting that I am approaching 50, I find I'm transitioning into this new phase of life, and yet I don't really know my style anymore. I'm no longer drawn to my old clothes, shoes, purses, and such, and yet I can't seem to let them go, even though I'm not using them. Part of this is that I get myself hung up on the amount of money I've spent on what I have, and I feel like I'm just throwing good money away. But I also tell myself that I'm not using it anymore and I should let it go. I realize, or rather, I'm proving to myself that I don't need these things. And yet, I just can't take that step. I don't know, maybe it's a fear of change. What used to be my style and what was known as my thing, that being my fantastic fashionable shoes and purses, are no longer what I'm drawn to. So who am I now? I would love to hear your group's take on transitioning through life's phases. Thanks and all the best. Bye. I thought this was a great question because it was a typical clothing question to start. And then it ends with, but wait, 
who am I now? As I transition to this new stage of my life and my identity is so tied up, not in the future. It's not even tied up in my present self. It's tied up in all the clothes, the awards, the achievements, the jobs, the history of me becomes who I am. TK, I thought maybe we could start talking to Deirdre about the sunk cost fallacy, and then we can get a bit more esoteric. Yeah, I mean, everyone has an expensive past because mm-hmm. all of us have spent all of our life energy up until this point investing in that past. And part of what it means to evolve is figuring out a way to reframe our past so that it doesn't feel like waste to let it go. And so the sunk cost fallacy is basically about saying, hey, that money has already been spent. That investment of life energy has already been made. There's no choice I can make to get that back or to keep that, right? And so it's really about reframing it and saying, how can I use these things that are no longer useful to me as an act of generosity? Because when you throw it away, it feels like waste. And that was, that was the language that she used, right? It feels like I'm throwing away all this money that I spent. But we don't feel that way when someone says, hey, you know, I'm really in a position of financial need. Is there anything you could do to help me out? We say, oh, yeah, I'll write a check for that cause. We don't feel like we're wasting hard-earned money. We feel like we're being generous and we're putting that to work for a good cause. And we can do that with these things that we spent a lot of money on. You're not throwing it away. You're empowering someone else to enjoy a form of abundance that has taken the role of excess in your life. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a gift that you can offer the world. Mm. Ryan, how about you talk about how your style has changed over the years? We could talk about that literally. It's called fashion, Melbourne. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) I told myself on the way here, I'm like, I'm going to use that line at least once during this podcast. Thanks for setting me up like that. (laughs) So your fashion has changed quite a bit over the years. We're going to do a photo tour of us over the last 42 years here in a little bit. I think I got 15 photos of, of us sort of looking back. And you'll see quite literally how our style has changed. But what have you learned about your own style that has prevented you from clinging to a bunch of clothes that you no longer enjoy? I mean, it was at a certain point, I think it was actually the watching the documentary. Minimalism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That documentary is like, man, I just love that documentary so much. That might be, that might be, uh, you know, for me, I know that we feel different about it, but I'm like, that might be my Mount Rushmore. And that's okay. Like if that's my Mount Rushmore, I'm totally happy with that. That is a beautiful documentary with the worst ending. Not when Josh said, love people use things, but there I am standing in that blue shirt. (laughs) And I'm like, damn it, Nicodemus. I even was like, oh, I'm wearing this for LA. It's LA. I'm going to wear color. Anyway. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, like, I don't, I don't feel good in that. And I don't look great in that. So, um, I think that's probably when I finally got rid of the last little bit of those, of those different, uh, types of clothing. So Deidre's question was about. beating herself over wasting money. Can you paraphrase her question for me? I mean, ultimately her question is, and I wrote this down, I would love to hear the group's take on transitioning through life's phases. Ah, yeah, that's a great question. I think ultimately where you go with a question like that is the clothes that you're struggling with, letting go of, it's never about the clothes. No, exactly. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, maybe there's some like trauma she hasn't healed from. 
Like that's a perfectly fine question to ask mm-hmm. yourself. And the an- if the answer is no, there's not any, that's great. But maybe there is. And if the answer is yes, then you've got to figure out how to deal with that trauma. But there's clearly something deeper going on inside. So with my transitions that I've made from, I don't know, age, how old were we when we started this? 16? No. <laughs> from like age 30 to now. Yeah. Um, it's having good friends. It's having good community. It's having a good therapist that I can call on that I might only call him once a year or shoot once every, every other year. But like, I know like when I can't work through something and I need a non-biased perspective to help me look at something that I really, I can usually figure it out on my own, but believe it or not, sometimes I just need someone else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, that's a great tool to have in, in your back pocket. So Deidre, start with the people you're surrounding yourself with. What's your community look like? Mm. And if there is something that you might need to dig in a little bit deeper, get someone to help you dig in deeper. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to look at it, if I were in her shoes, the thing that I would want to understand is that your future self does not care about the clothes from your past. Ooh, that's, yeah. And so the more that I cling to whatever's going on in the past, the furniture from my past, the relationships from my past, the career from my past, the trophies, awards, material possessions from my past, the more I cling to those, the more I'm burdening my current self and thus burdening my future self as well. Yeah. So the question is like, what, are, what can you gain by letting this go, Deidre? Like, what are you going to gain five years from now? One year from now, two years from now. Yeah. Like that's, that definitely is some good leverage to have. Yeah. Because if you aren't willing to let go of it, you won't gain any of the things you're talking about gaining. And that's really the only wrong answer is just doing nothing. Yeah. I hate to moralize it, but if, if there was, if there was a poorest answer, maybe that's, that's a, you know, maybe that's a better way to look at it. Yeah. That's the, yeah. The irony of this is you're not actually doing nothing. Clinging is an act in and of itself. And so when I feel like, oh, I'm just going to throw my hands up and do nothing. Well, no, you're not doing nothing. You're still holding on to something that is weighing you down. One of my favorite podcasts, probably my favorite podcast episode ever. I shared this with you a few months ago, Ryan, is from a friend of ours, Rob Bell. He had this uh, podcast episode called A Pair of Doxes. Because he has these two paradoxes, a pair of doxes. (laughs) Professor Sean, put a link to this in the show notes, please. And I I will paraphrase these two paradoxes. I'll paraphrase this pair of doxes. The first one is the more love you're living in, the clearer your boundaries will be. For the longest time, I thought that if I established a boundary with someone, maybe that was being unloving or unkind. Saying no to them wasn't nearly as loving as just saying yes, 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 yes. But if you have no boundaries in your life, you have no love. Mm -hmm. The bigger thing that I think applies here to Deirdre's question is the second paradox. The more grounded you are in your sense of self, the more yourself becomes flexible. The more flexible you become if you know who you are as a person. Because let's face it, if I don't know who I am, I'm going to stick to what? An ideology, a thought pattern, a belief system that was simply handed to me. This must be who I am. And it's not to say there's no value in those things. There can be value in those things. 
But if I don't know who I am, I'm going to be really rigid, especially about the things that don't matter. And it's okay to be rigid even, but you can be rigid and be flexible. To be flexible just means that I can bend without breaking. And that's where Deirdre is right now with respect to her clothes. Mm -hmm. If I get rid of these, who am I Mm. as a person? Oh, the fact that you're asking that question means you're becoming more flexible. You're realizing that the clothes from the past don't make you who you are today. And anything you're holding on to actually gets in the way of that flexibility. And if it gets in the way of your flexibility, you are actually getting in the way of your self. Yeah. If I get rid of this stuff that's weighing me down, who will I become? You will become the lightness that you feel when you are finally free to live the life you want to live. Letting go is about giving yourself that power, that freedom, that flexibility to go to all the places you want to go. And it's also not just about you. It's about giving other people the abundance, the resources that they need in order to grow. You're at this place, Deirdre. We call it a necessary ending. And when you think about that term ending, it has a lot of connotations. Quite often when a relationship ends, there's some huge blow up and there's a fight and, oh my God, I can't believe you did this. I'm going to start blaming you, accusing you of these things that made me upset, right? That's not what an ending is. And there's this book, uh, the three of us were at a Dave Ramsey event uh, a few months ago, and I ran into Dr. Henry Cloud. And he wrote the book. I, I walked up to him. Dave introduced me uh, to him. And he goes, you guys got to meet each other, like minimalism and the whole boundaries thing. I said, oh my gosh, you're Henry Cloud. I quoted from your first book in my last book. Uh, love people use things. I talked about boundaries in there, quoting from him. And he goes, have you read my book, Necessary Endings? I said, no, I've never even heard of it. He goes, it's about minimalism. I said, oh, wow, all these different names for minimalism. And what he really talks about, I'm going to read a few things from the book real quick, because I think they're applicable to this episode at large, but I also think they're applicable to Deirdre's question here. The first line of the book, you know, I'm a sucker for first lines, Ryan. Mm. Thanks for showing me that first line battle, by the way. Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. I have passed that on to other people. Just go to a bookstore with someone. If you hate bookstores, even you just go to a bookstore, you each pick out a random book off the shelf, the cheesier, the better. And sometimes even the cheesiest books have awesome first lines. And some of my favorite books of all time have pretty mediocre first lines. Mm. But this first line, It's a great book, but this is a great first line. Today may be the enemy of your tomorrow. Mm. Read the next sentence. My goodness. The next sentence. Actually, I'm going to read the next section because I think it encompasses that the next sentence even better. So there's a section early on in the first chapter. It's called the universality of endings. Why endings? Whether we like it or not, endings are a part of life. They are woven into the fabric of life itself, both when it goes well and also when it doesn't. On the good side of life, for us to ever get to a new level, a new tomorrow, or the next step, something has to end. Life has seasons, stages, phases. For there to be anything new, old things always have to end, and we have to let go of them. Infancy gives rise to toddlerhood. 
and must forever be shunned in order to get the independence that allows a child to thrive. Later, childhood itself must be given up for people to become the adults that they were designed to be. Getting to the next level always requires ending something, leaving it behind, and moving on. Growth itself demands that we move on. Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they are meant to be, never accomplishing all that their talents and abilities should afford them. In business, endings often are absolute necessities for a turnaround or for growth to occur. Endings are also important in our personal lives. There are relationships that should go away, practices and phases that must be relinquished, and life stages that should come to an end to open up the space for the next one. A breakup, an ending of some friendships or activities, or an unplugging from some new commitments or from some commitments often signals the beginning of a whole new life. Mm. Yeah. I think that that word endings is scary because we think of divorce. And I love the word you used earlier with graduation mm. because that's an ending. You're ending high school, right? But also there are other words that I find in my own life that are more empowering. Words like recalibrating, or I remember we ended our 2017 tour, Ryan. We happened to be in the airport in Milwaukee. And they, you know, when you go through the airport, go through all the machines, you feel discombobulated, right? Mm. They have a zone, an area that is called the recombobulation area. Is that right? They call it that. And it's not even a real word, but someone who was designing this said, hey, I recognize how discombobulated you feel after going through everything that you've just gone through. And what a beautiful metaphor. Everything you've just gone through, now is time for a recombobulation. We need to recombobulate our lives because whatever was just out there, we just ended that. We're in Mm -hmm. the airport now and we're recombobulating. And I feel like that's what we're doing here with the minimalists. It's not an ending so much as it is a graduation or a recombobulation. I want to highlight something. Uh, using what TK said earlier about knowing what you're going to become because that is sometimes the hardest part. And that is why sometimes people cling because they're, they're scared of the unknown. So like you can either embrace the unknown. I love embracing the unknown. Mm. I thrive in the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, I am starting to learn how to thrive in the planning stages, mm. which, um, I can't wait to have lunch with you after this, man, to kind of talk about some of the stuff. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I, I just don't want to undermine how important everything that you just read there is. But if you don't know what you're going to become, sometimes that might be what you have to figure out first. And here's the thing uh, that I thought of when you were talking, TK. Los Angeles, people want to come out here because they see the lights and they see Hollywood and they, whatever they see. They're like, oh, LA. If you come out to LA and you don't know what you want, it's going to be a very rough road. Like it's not a matter of um, it chewing you up and spitting you out. Although better chance of that happening if you don't know what you want, but LA, it has everything you want. And if you don't know what you want, like you're going to be pulled in 17 different directions. So um, I think what you just read is amazing, but I think what TK was saying is like pairing it with that is really important. Yeah. There's, 
I'm thinking of like a little aphorism here. Like if you don't know what you want, paradoxically, you're guaranteed to get it. <laughs> but also you will never get it, right? Yeah. If you don't know what you want, you're not going to get what you want. And sometimes something has to end in order for you to get what you want. There was a necessary ending. Yeah. The last section I want to read from this that I think ties this up nicely it's uh, the end of the, I think, first chapter or second chapter. He says, endings are not only a part of life. They are a requirement for living and thriving professionally and personally. Being alive requires that we sometimes kill off things in which we were once invested, mm-hmm. uproot what we previously nurtured, and tear down what we built for an earlier time. Refraining, giving up throwing away, tearing down, hating what what hating what we once cherished are all necessary endings. Endings are the reason you are not married to your prom date nor still working in your first job. But without the ability to do endings well, we flounder, we stay stuck, and we fail to reach our goals and dreams. Or worse, we remain in painful and sometimes destructive situations. Endings are crucial, but we rarely like them. Hence, the problem. This is why we avoid endings. And he goes into this list of reasons that we might avoid endings. Let's talk about these individually here. We hang on too long when we should end something now. I think that one is first for a reason. Quite often we know we'd be better off ending something, but I'll wait till next Tuesday or I'll wait till next month. I'll wait till next quarter. I'll wait till Mm -hmm. next year. Well, why do I wait for those things, right? And he talks about with the fear of confrontation. We're afraid of hurting someone. You can't have a conversation if you can never hurt someone Mm. because it's not up to you whether or not I'm going to hurt TK. Now I can present it in a way that isn't badgering him. If Ryan and I need to have a difficult conversation, I can have love and compassion. But if he's hurt by that, I don't get to decide whether or not he's hurt by that. And so we avoid an ending because we avoid the conversations altogether. He also says, we do not know if an ending is actually necessary or if the person is fixable. So we avoid an ending. Why? Because I can fix that person or I can fix that situation. Mm. You know, um, I think it's easy to confuse knowing what we want with possessing the intellectual ability to conceptualize and articulate in a way that makes it sound sensible to other people. We live in this culture of justification. You don't get to be you and do what you want to do unless you can explain yourself to me and defend it against all of the objections and concerns I might raise. But Knowing what you want is often a very intuitive, visceral thing. You can feel it. You may not know how you're going to get there. You may not know how to explain it to someone else right now. But it's just like when you put your hands under the, the, the faucet and, and you begin to wash your hands. You know if that feels too hot. You know if that feels too cold. And if it's comfortable and I come along and I say, no, that's too hot. You can know if I'm right or wrong just by how it feels. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't beat me in an argument. And Sometimes we have a whole bunch of options that are all good and innocent and nice and profitable, but the one that's right for you, you got to connect with it at the level of feeling and intuition and put explaining yourself to others in the background. Make that secondary. That comes with time. 
but you got to zoom in on what's right for me, what feels right for me. There's something there about if I can't explain this to everyone, then I won't end it as well, right? Yeah. Mm. Even though something should end, and that's where Deirdre is right now. Like I feel like I need to be able to rationalize to other people or even to myself. I need to be able to rationalize it and explain perfectly why I let those things go. Well, the only answer there is because it didn't feel right anymore, mm. and it was time to move on. So we talked about, I'm afraid of confrontation. I'm afraid of hurting someone. We are afraid of letting go and the sadness associated with ending. We do not possess the skills to execute the ending. We do not even know the right words to use. We have had too many and too painful endings in our personal history, so we avoid another one. When we are forced, When endings are forced upon us, we do not know how to process them and we sink or flounder. And ultimately, we do not learn from them, so we repeat the same mistakes over and over. I've seen that in my own life, that something that should have ended a long time ago, I pathologize ending as being a bad thing. And right now we're facing an ending, but we're actually just facing a new beginning. And so if I just rephrase that story a little bit, mm. I'm not even thinking of graduation mm -hmm. is a new beginning. Yes, it's yeah. celebrating. That's what I wanted to do today is I want to honor Ryan Nicodemus. I want to celebrate Ryan Nicodemus. And you're still going to hear from Ryan Nicodemus. But I wanted to celebrate this new beginning, this graduation of sorts, because, yes, it's great to look in the rear view and we'll, we'll have mm -hmm. some fun with that. But... Mm -hmm. What's much more exciting is what's about to happen, not what has already happened. Yeah. It feels to me like an evolution, which isn't good or bad. Yeah. It's, it's survival. I mean, at its, you know, at its core. Um, but in this way, there is a, there is a sense of survival that um, this, uh, the reason why this ending is happening. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about, it's about, taking this opportunity to really choose like what do we want to evolve to mm. and anytime something ends I mean maybe that'll help with because you keep saying ending and I'm like man it sounds so harsh I don't feel like it's an ending but it's because I'm assigning things like graduation to it I'm assigning things like evolution to it yeah and I guess maybe that's what I'm really trying to say here anyone who is hearing ending and it's like hitting them it's stinging them because it's stinging me it's really weird um it's not about the, the the bad context that you have with it. Like you can choose your context that you want to have with whatever ending is happening in your life. Yeah. And the, the, the word that I often use in my own life is not an ending, but it's an untethering mm. of sorts, mm. right? Tethers aren't bad. You know, if you're bungee jumping, you better hope that tether's going to work, <laughs> right? But at some point, if I walk around forever with that bungee jumping tether, I'm constricted in a way that I do not want to be constricted or restricted yeah. from going where I want to go. Really useful in some instances, but if I'm not willing to untether, I'm never going to get away from that particular activity, right? And so when I recontextualize it, yes, graduation, yes, recombobulation, yes, recalibration. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're riding a bike, you're always recalibrating, especially me. I'm so off balance. I have to constantly recalibrate. But 
that's how balance works. It's mm. through constant recalibration. There's an ending, a beginning, ending, beginning, ending, beginning. That's all it is. It's a cycle. But it's also an untethering. And that's what I look at here. Not being tethered to the way that things were. That's how we move forward. And that's really the core of what minimalism is, right? It's not about renouncing things. It's not about uncoupling from them. It's about being unburdened by them. It's about reinventing the relationship between you and the world around you so that you experience that world of stuff as something that amplifies your quality of life, enhances it. And whenever it gets in the way, you say, well, let me rearrange it or establish a relationship to it so that it ceases to be clutter. And that's mm -hmm. what you're doing with your transitioning, your untethering or whatever we want to call it. You're going to, you're saying, I still love this place. I'm not renouncing LA, but I'm changing my relationship to it so that it continues to be a space that brings me joy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love the word that you just used, amplify, because if we're getting back to Deirdre's question here, clothes or fashion is great as an amplifier. If it amplifies your personality, if it shows who you are as a person, if it amplifies your humane, your humanness, mm. right? It can be wonderful. Fashion is terrible as a crutch. I have to do this. I have to dress this way. I have to show myself like this. Oh, then it feels so restrictive. I don't want that. But if I get to because it's an amplifier, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. We're coming up. I know uh, TK has got some interview questions for Ryan. We're going to tackle on the private podcast. Also, 13 years of minimalist experiences, a memory lane photo tour. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. We're really excited about this. We uh, do a Patreon live stream every week for our private podcast subscribers. Anyone who subscribes to the video version of the private podcast, we're moving those to Fridays, completely uncoupling them from the podcast itself, and we're turning it into a Zoom call. We're calling them Friday Afternoon Minimalist Zooms, FAMS. Uh, is our is our acronym. And we're going to hop on Zoom with you. Now, this enables us to sort of be in a live event with you even from several thousand miles away. It's noon Pacific. So that's 3 p.m. Central every Friday or most Fridays is the way we'll handle it. And you'll get an email beforehand every Friday with a private link so you can join us on the Zoom. And we're going to see you face to face. Now, if you're super introvert and you're like, you can just turn your camera off, turn your mic off. You can interact with us as well. You can, we'll turn your mic on if you want to interact with us and, and uh, you can come in to the room, ask a question. We can have a conversation or the three of us from our separate homes can all just pontificate wildly until someone steps in and has a question or observation that they want us to talk about. What are you guys excited about with respect to these fams? Any face-to-face -face interaction I get with our audience is awesome. More chinchillas. Yeah, and it's funny. I don't know why we haven't been doing this before. I know. Because all the chinchillas have been watching me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really me who wants to see the chinchillas anyway. That, that's right. Yeah. And, and seeing the, yeah. the sort of face-to-face -face interaction with, with them, it yeah. adds this other 
level, this other layer, this intimacy of, oh, I get to see you and talk to you, similar to our live events. It's not just like a live event, Mm -hmm. but it's much more similar. It's us in a room together, uncoupled from the podcast, and we're right there talking to you face-to-face. If you want to interact with us, great. Or you can be the fly on the wall, and you can just watch these Friday afternoon minimalist Zooms as well. Yeah, man, I just love that we're breaking the fourth wall. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's great about the internet is like we get to connect with people in different ways. But one of the things that's still kind of missing is that the, the, the relationship between time and content, it's, it's really odd because you have to put something out there first and then people can tell you how they feel about it. And then you decide if you want to interact with them over that or not. Right. But to have a real-time interaction where people can talk with you while you're in the middle of the pro- creative process, where that can itself be the creative process. That to me is exciting. It, it, it's, it mimics some of the elements we love so much about the live events. Ryan and I have talked about that a lot. To me, I think that's when this stuff becomes the most fun, when we can involve people and we can engage each other in real time. And we'll be involving those people. We'll take some questions from the live streams and bring them onto the podcast as well. And so you'll see a beautiful intersection there between those live streams. In fact, what I love about this, it gives us the room to sort of make errors and mistakes in real time and see what resonates in real time. Because what you're talking about is a lag time. If you create something a week today and you don't put it out for a month, you don't get any feedback on it for a month. If you write a book, sometimes it's like you don't get any feedback for several years. And that's fine during the creative process. What you're talking about is real-time feedback, real-time interaction, real-time commenting. And we're talking about face-to-face interactions. You see something there through someone's physiology that doesn't make its way into the comment section on YouTube or or on Patreon. Yeah. So will, will these be recorded and uh, patrons can watch them or is it just li- live only? Great question. Yes, it'll be recorded and posted for one week. Cool. And so like I do with all of Ryan's and my conversations, they'll all be recorded. <laughs> are you doing that too? Man, we are doubling the efforts. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm not doing anything illegal because it's a two-party state. Right. <laughs> I, so, love, I love partying. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, it'll be available for one week. Uh, we really love the ephemeral nature of this. And we even scheduled it in a way that it, even if you live in Australia, you have to get up a little early. I think it's 7 or 8 a.m., but you'll be able to join us as well. We have a lot of people who listen to this podcast from Australia and New Zealand and throughout the world. So if you can join us live, great. If not, you can still watch everything that went down over the course of the next week. And then poof, it's gone. We love the ephemeral nature of these, and we'll do another one next week. You can always join us for that. Speaking of live stream questions, we save one from the last live stream. Alabama, will you read Donna's question for us? This is from Donna on Patreon, The Power of a Hug. In 2014, I was staying at the Hampton Inn in Oregon City, Oregon, caring for my mother who was dying. I was flying in from Florida for long weekends, returning to work as best I could and trying to keep everything in balance. JFM, I ran into you in the hallway of that Hampton Inn. I recognized you in passing and said, I have read everything you have written. Thank you so much. You responded politely, paused, and said, would a hug be okay? I had not said anything about why I was there. I just want you to know that that hug sustained me through the last three days of my mother's life. I will be forever grateful. 
Now I hear Mallory tearing up, but I don't know if she's just voice acting right now. No, I feel it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I do too. I first time yeah. I read this, I was like, wow. And and this is exactly what Ryan was talking about with the 2014 tour running into to someone at a uh, Hampton Inn, huh? Mm. Yeah. I thought we only stayed in the four seasons, Ryan. <laughs> I want to know when you were in Oregon City. That's Clackamas. Oh, Clackamas? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what's beautiful about that story, man, is that if it was only that person, I didn't even meet her. If it was only that person, it would make it would make all of this worth it, man. Mm. And the fact that um, there's a few others makes it just you know sprinkles on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. And there's something I love, I, I, I titled this power of a hug because you never realize, like, I don't remember this specific interaction because this happens to me so frequently, but I want to pause and make the moment special, not just for them, it's special for me as well. Mm-hmm. Pause, give someone a hug, hear them, witness them because we want to be seen. We want to be witnessed. Yeah. And I don't know that I have a, a duty mm. to do that, but I feel it. I feel compelled to do that because, yes, I get something from it. Someone else gets something from it as well. But talk about one of the best ways to be present. You can tell when someone is present when they give you a hug mm-hmm. or often a hug brings someone into the moment. We have some great guests on this podcast, but the one who uh, stands out in terms of hugs is Dr. Zach Bush. His hugs bring me into the moment, ground me in a way that makes me realize, hey, it's all going to be okay. We Mm. are right here, right now. That's why that's the name of that segment, right here, right now. It's not over there and then some other time. (laughs) It's right here, right now. And that's what a hug does. It brings us into the moment, right here, right now. We got a bunch more to talk about, but first, Alabama, what do you got for us? Here's a minimalist insight from one of our listeners. Hi, this is April from Cleveland, Ohio, and I was calling to tell you guys about a service that I find very useful. In episode 394 called Simplify Everything, you guys talked about clothing recycling, and there's a service in parts of Ohio, Michigan, Texas, Illinois, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Minnesota. All you do is go to their website at simplerecycling.com and schedule a pickup of your clothing. And then you put a box or bag um, on your porch and you put a simple recycling label on it. And they even have labels on their website that you can print up. What they do is they grade all the items collected based on quality, top quality, go to thrift stores, mid-grade or exported internationally, and items considered unusable or processed for raw materials. I love it because of three reasons. Number one, I tend to use items until they're either ripped or stained beyond donating to a thrift store, and I don't want those to end up in a landfill. Number two, I don't have to take it anywhere. They pick up from me. And number three, it's completely free to use. So if you're in one of those areas, go check them out at simplerecycling.com. Welcome back, y'all. We got a bunch of talk about Ryan, I don't know where you want to go with this. I thought maybe we would start by a sort of walk down memory lane the last 13 years of The Minimalist. I don't hmm. like to brag about myself uh, intentionally, 
But I do. I love bragging about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like to brag about you because it's really just a way to brag about myself uh, by proxy. Yeah, by proxy. Yeah, yeah, but I do want to take a look because we have some new listeners of the podcast. They just joined us a week ago. We have some listeners who've been listening to this podcast for eight years now. And I want to take a trip down memory lane with you before we get into all the photos of us uh, over the last 13 years. Here are some of the... I don't know what you would call it. Everything has changed, really, over the last 13 years. Even our hairstyles have changed, and and clearly my shirt has changed. I wore this shirt just to celebrate you today, Mm. and and it's a a line of demarcation. We're celebrating Ryan's graduation today, and this is—I dressed up really nicely for you. (laughs) I think this is the biggest deal of this whole podcast. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, I know you started the the shorter podcast with— that being the biggest deal of the podcast, I think it is though. <laughs> Truly is. Yeah. Me wearing the purple shirt. Yeah, it's like the color of royalty. It's like a real great act of veneration. It is. It I is. just wanted to wear something that I generally would never wear in person <laughs> to show like, hey, it's totally possible. It's okay. Yeah. I got rid of my favorite pair of pants recently because it had too many holes in the crotch and they've been patched and repaired at least twice and there were holes in the pocket and I just got rid of my favorite pants and I literally just threw them out. They were not usable anymore. Mm. And uh, even I felt that little bit of twinge, but then I put on my new pair of pants and it was totally fine. Now my new pair of pants is my favorite pair of pants. It's funny when you get rid of something that is your favorite, something new tends to take its place. Yeah. But so you're saying you're going to wear this purple shirt from now on? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> if, it's, if it feels like it's calling me, yeah. let us know in the comments below. Should I wear this purple shirt in perpetuity? Mm. It doesn't have to be the same one. I could buy more than one if I wanted to. Mm. <laughs> you could. I got $20. That's right. <laughs> All right. So 13 years, Ryan. And in those 13 years, 700 media interviews, which, and counting. Mm. Now, to be clear, 400 of those were in a one-year time frame. In 2014, when we were on the road doing all those cities, we there were some days, like Salt Lake City, we did nine interviews in one day. We were bouncing around from TV station, TV station, radio station, magazine, newspaper, to the point where we had to call our publicist and be like, she's like, I have never seen this. No one is saying no. Usually everyone says no, mm-hmm. but this story of letting go was so fresh to them at the time. It was before our podcast, before the documentary, and the best way we could reach people was through the media. We didn't have a YouTube channel and all these other things, other ways to communicate with people. So we had a blog, we had a new book, and then we had the media to get the message out. And we did, over the last 13 years, we've done 700 media interviews, 600 blog posts over at theminimalists.com. And it's amazing. I'll see Professor Sean or Jess post something from our archives and I'll go and read it. And I'm like, I can't believe we wrote that. I don't remember writing this even. And it's out there like, wow, this is really good. I need to take my own advice. And even if it's not advice, it feels to me like, oh, wow, what a what a fascinating perspective. Mm. I could really benefit from this. Wait a minute. I wrote this thing that I could benefit from, <laughs> right? Uh, 400 podcast episodes as of today. It's actually much more than that when you count all the private podcasts and live events. And it's probably something like 800. Yeah, the ones we deleted and re-recorded. Let's talk about that briefly. So early on when we started this podcast, it was in a literally a storage closet at the University of Montana. They had this tech startup incubator called Montech. And we rented in their basement a storage closet. It was a janitor's closet. They cleared out. We put two desks in. 
We paid $120 a month and we started recording this podcast, me and Ryan and podcast Sean. And um, at one point, I think we published about one out of every four episodes that we recorded. Sometimes it was just a tech issue. Sometimes it was like, oh, this wasn't very good. Sometimes we yeah. get halfway into it and be like, ah, I think we could do better. Let's start over. Or you know what, let's come back tomorrow when we feel a bit more fresh, right? And then it got to like, oh, we're publishing one out of three. This is pretty good. And now it's one out of every two, half the episodes are making it. And now almost every episode uh, gets published. Not the one with Dave Rubin, but... um, (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) May you rest in peace before my time. (laughs) Because he's uh, dead to us. I'm just kidding. Oh, no. Uh, Dave Rubin, we love you from yes, a distance. Yes, we do. Of course we do. Um, we don't agree with you on just about anything, but we still can love you, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Would y'all have a conversation with him? Uh, yeah, I asked him to come back on. And he, he, he and I had a... Uh, yeah. Let's uh, just say he denied the conversation. Yeah, he and I had a rather contentious phone <laughs> call together. Um, he was really upset that we weren't going to publish his episode. Um, I just thought it was tone deaf. Um, it was the day that George Floyd was um, murdered. He said that America was the least racist country in America. We actually brought you on a few weeks later to talk about race relations uh-huh. in yep. America. We did, we did a whole episode about this. Mm. And we talked about this briefly. But I just thought it was completely tone deaf. And I loved, to, I still, it, it seared in my memory. And he goes, I don't even know what it would mean to be the least racist of anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said, oh, yeah. Like, who cares if you're the least racist? Like, what what the hell does that even mean, right? Anyway, um, all this to say that we publish most of our broadcasts now. There are times, though, we've recorded a few episodes that are out there that's just like, oh, I didn't feel great about that. Let's come back and redo it. Or we have a few that are just still sitting out there in a time capsule somewhere that maybe we can decide to publish at some distant point in the future. Or maybe the aliens, when they get when they get here, they will publish them. <laughs> hey, I, I, I love to talk to them now, now that I'm on. Maybe we bring them back. I, yeah, I, I would have them on. Of and, course. And um, I would do a better job pushing back. At the time, I was kind of bowled over like, what? I, I don't really understand what you're saying. Well, we, we had an agreement. Mm. that we were not going to let it get political in the sense of where he brought it. Mm -hmm. The whole idea was like, hey, man, politics are important, but let's talk about the real sense of politics. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then he broke the agreement. Yeah. That's what happened. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. So we've had 20, over 25 team members here with us. I mean, we have a room full of people here as well, but extended team, everyone from Jeff and Dave, mm-hmm. Matt Diavella, I certainly consider him one of our team members. We're on the same team. We made two films together. Our book agent, our touring agent, a bunch of different people. When we, you think of the minimalists, you might think of the people that you see that are the frontward facing images of the minimalists, but really it's so much more than that. And I just want to acknowledge those folks real quick. Everyone from post-production Peter to Evan uh, to Alabama and Jordan and Sean and podcast Sean and Danny, of course, and Emma and Jess Ness, like everyone who has helped us create this message of simple living and get it out there in the world. We always brought people on out of necessity. Like, hey, we want to find ways to spread this message that we really believe in. And that is something that we've done now for 13 years. We'd bring one person on and they would help us reach more people. Mm -hmm. We've had uh, 10 10 tours. We've had 
four best-selling bo- books, two Netflix documentaries. You can see I'm stammering right now. Anytime I'm reading something nice about myself, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you haven't uh-oh. even got to the good laurels yet. I need to give myself permission to accept these things, yeah. right? <laughs> One Emmy nomination, hundreds of millions of downloads, tens of millions of readers and viewers, millions of followers on social media, blah, blah, blah. Uh, thousands of writing students in my writing class, uh, countless lives simplified. That's what I loved about that comment from the live stream earlier with just running into someone and giving them a hug, simplifying lives. All the memories, and of course, my favorite accolade, my favorite achievement out of all of this, zero advertisements. Mm. We've done it all without a single advertisement. Our podcast does not have our advertisements. Our YouTube channel does not have advertisements. Our films don't have advertisements. Even when we put minimalism up on YouTube. I was talking to our accountant yesterday, Ryan. He goes, I noticed you have 2 million views on it. Why didn't you monetize it? Mm. I'm like, Alan. Come on, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, do you have any idea how much money you would make? I said, no, I don't actually. I, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't want to know because it's right. going to encourage me to then monetize the YouTube You can channel. sell t-shirts too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Gosh. Um, I, I do want to note though, I, I just made a whole list of accomplishments here, Ryan. But the thing to talk about when you look at the rear view, there are so many things that didn't work. Countless ideas for tours, films, books that never got finished. I have pitched several films to Netflix. Films that I was just like so enthralled by this idea. One was called Advertisements Suck mm-hmm. and put together the whole 27-page proposal. We put together the trailer for it, spent tens of thousands of dollars on a sizzle reel and... They're like, yeah, no, uh, we're good. We don't even need to have a meeting about this one. Yeah. And I've done that several times with several different projects. And so you get to see a lot of the things that get completed. But there are so many things that we've worked on, we've tried, we've started. It doesn't mean that they were a failure. It just means they didn't get completed. Yeah. And that's okay as well. We have no attachment to any of those results with those projects. But there's something to be said about spending tens of thousands of dollars on a sizzle reel when minimalism has two million two million views in a week and it costs us way less than tens of thousands of dollars yeah yeah the post-production on that thing was pretty expensive but the the production itself was yeah. essentially zero dollars right and that that's because if we were to go out and redo that film now it would cost a lot more because it, it was matt with us all sharing a king-size bed at a hotel if they didn't have enough rooms with queen size beds. And so we were really roughing it for the better part of a year, but doing that allowed us to create something really stunning for Mm -hmm. next to nothing. We were using his equipment, his lighting, Ryan's car. We were already on this tour. We were already in these cities. It made a whole lot of sense to interview these people. But imagine now if we were to remake it and we had to, now we have to fly to San Francisco to interview this person. And we fly to Boston to interview this person. We fly to Minneapolis to interview this person. We fly to Los Angeles to interview this person. That's when it gets really costly, right? Yeah. We just happen to be going to all of these places and it it per- all worked out. Perfect storm. Fueled on passion, coffee, and sweeter coals. <laughs> <laughs> sweeter coals is Ryan's alter ego while we're on the road. Yeah. It's sort of like the voice in his head that says all the things Ryan knows he's not allowed to say. <laughs> or the things that, that's I would, Sasha Fierce. Or, yeah, right. It is kind of like, it's, it's the things I would never say. Like yes. someone says something and I'm like, 
I, I'll think something. And I'm like, I would never say that. Why does that brain come in? I'm like, oh, I'll just make a character out of it. <laughs> yes. Oh, he's the best. Does the character have its own voice? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do I get to hear it or no? <laughs> You've already heard it today, TK. Off, off mic, I'm you just, got to hear I'm it. Te- yeah. Okay, okay. I'm, te- I'm, teasing, I'm teasing the uh, fans with it. Well, I have, uh, after we get past those 13 years of highlights, I have 42 years of the minimalist over the years. Instead of doing a minimalist home tour this week, we're going to go through some photos. Ryan and I were both born in 1981. I don't have any photos of the birth, Ryan, so don't worry. I'd... Thank God. You could have you AI generated them. So you could say that this is the minimalist homies tour. <laughs> The first photo I have is 1984. This is, uh, I'm titling this one, The Prayer King. You love showing off your butt. I I was mostly naked there in in this photo, as you can see. If you just listen to the audio version, you probably want to see these, but I'll do my best to describe these photos. I'm wearing a crown. It's a Burger King crown, and I'm praying on the side of the bed. Now, I was actually praying that our my father didn't find us. This is when we escaped uh, from our home in Dayton and moved south to a a, a small, really uh, crappy suburb of, of Dayton. And um, I'm here in a hotel room praying that we don't get found. So there's a sad bit behind this really mm. cute picture. So let's move on to the next photo. Great here. way to start this. Mm. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> it's all high note. beautiful from here. <laughs> no, no, you know what though? It is important to bring up these moments because, yeah. you know, that's that's actually the story, dude. Like, right. The story it, is like overcoming things like this. Yeah. From, a, from the youngest age, mm. from literally the youngest age I can remember. Now yeah. I titled this photo, this one is Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it busy guy 059 because, uh, <laughs> clearly I'm, I mean, look at that suit. I, uh, <laughs> always busy making deals. Yes. That's my first grade picture. He's a young ladies man. This is 1987. <laughs> and, um, Ryan, you were not the cutest kid. I'll be honest with you. I know. But then when he hit puberty, he just became like handsome overnight. It was unbelievable. I don't know how it happened. For a moment, I thought like he had been swapped out. It's like when you reach a new season of a show, but you have the same character played by a different actor. That was Ryan as soon as he hit puberty. Like yeah. his jaw filled out. You and- know, yeah, I don't know, man. That's that's pu- puberty will do that. So right, if you're Ryan if you're an me. ugly kid listening to this, you got you got hope. Just so you know. <laughs> so let me tell you about that outfit. Every time I would go to take a school picture, my mom would like give me an outfit to make sure that I wore. And I fought her tooth and nail. I'm like, I don't want to wear a jacket because they were church clothes to me. And I hated wearing church clothes. They were uncomfortable. And people, <laughs> seriously, people would always be like, oh, look at look at this little kid in his suit. And I hated the attention. Mm. So I like grew up to eventually wear suits for a living mm-hmm. uh, or for the living that I was doing. But I just remember, I don't even know how I got that little bit of a smile because I was pissed that I had to wear that jacket in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing here is, Ryan, I'm looking at, at the photo and it goes back, this is like a, a callback to what we were talking about earlier, but mm. you hated the attention. And so it wasn't that you wanted, but you still wanted to be seen. It's almost as though the attention prevented them from seeing your humanity. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Let's move to the next photo here. <clears throat> so Ryan and I met in 1991. And we were the two fattest kids in school. I don't have a picture of us together then, although you'll see a picture of us together in a moment. Yeah. This is me somewhere around 91. It might have been 1992. 
I was literally the fattest kid in school. You can also see I had a mullet there, which was totally in style in the early 90s, I promise. But I was morbidly obese. And I think one of the reasons I was morbidly obese is because it was one of the few things I had control over. My whole life was in chaos, but I could control the sort of gustatory, immediate pleasure, the Mm. placation, the pacification uh, that food would bring me. It would bring me this certainty in a world of uncertainty. Yeah. I connect with that for, for sure, man. You had a very similar upbringing. You know, when you and I met, it wasn't just, we didn't just bond over the fact that we were the two fattest kids in school, Mm -hmm. but we had a traumatizing childhood. Mm. And in a way it's allowed us to untraumatize our lives uh, through connecting with someone else who had a a similar shared experience. Yeah. It's interesting because all the photos for me, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, nice trim rind, and then third grade plump. And then fourth grade, it's like, what happened to you? Yeah. But it's all, I mean, that was the transition with different things happening in my life that I didn't know how to deal with. And food, it is a great mechanism. I could tell you, I have a picture of me at six years old. And I have a picture of me at age seven. My weight doubled from six to seven. Yeah, I went from 50 pounds to 100 pounds from six to seven. I was obese. And it was the year my mom started drinking. Mm, yeah, And uh, when her alcohol got serious, I needed some sort of certainty. And it was the only certainty I had was in food and also in OCD. So my toys became really OCD. I was like Denzel Washington in The Equalizer. You know, he's always <laughs> constantly like setting things up perfectly. Well, I'm still that way now, but I was that way as a, a seven-year-old boy as well. Let's go to the next photo here. I tried to get a senior picture of Ryan, but he did. he claims he doesn't have one. No, I, I really don't. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing. My senior, my senior year. This is freaking hilarious. We, 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 By the yeah. way, Josh went from what he looked like in the last picture to that in uh, the from his eighth grade to ninth grade year. Very similar to that last picture. Yeah, I lost a hundred pounds in one year. I went from two thirty nine to one thirty nine. Wait, one it just year. happened? Wow. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no he went out, out of his no, he went out of his way to like lose weight, eat right. Um, yeah, well, and then and then he hit and he did it at the right time because of puberty. Anyway. Yeah, well, hold I, on. For some people, changes like that do kind of happen naturally without them being like, oh, I got to get my life together. Mine so, helped, so. happened in a really unhealthful way. I stopped mm. eating. Yeah, okay. I didn't want to be overweight anymore. And so I, I think the problem is when I was when I was 12, I was six foot two. I was the tallest kid in school as well. I'm still six foot two today because I stopped eating. And I probably would have been six, 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 seven had I continued to nourish my body with the nutrients it needs in order to grow. I was sick all the time. It was, mm. it was awful. I just, I stopped eating. Uh, I was doing one meal a day, but it was garbage meals and there was no nutrition there. And so I, I bring this picture up though. I mean, you see, I have a shaved head here. This is my senior picture uh, taken in 1998. Although we graduated in 1999, oh. you'll see a photo of it in a moment. Do you have any memories from uh, from our high school days that really stand out? Oh, man, we knew how to have fun. That's for sure, man. <laughs> Causing each other, oh, 
I was going to say pain. So that, we just really like messing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> pr- practical jokes, pranking. Yeah. Someone falls asleep, pouring hot sauce in their mouth, that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, my. Next photo, I love real quick. You guys just passed was, by that. Like, that's not interesting at no, all. No. <laughs> I mean, it's a bunch of immature high school stuff that I'll, I'll tell you the favorite, my favorite thing we ever did Thank is you. we would stand out on the corner of uh, Maine and Cherry right in front of uh, Pacho's house. And we would fight each other, but you couldn't punch from the shoulders up or the belt down. So it was just body punches. And we would just go crazy on each other. Fist and fights. Fist fights, yeah. But it was like safe fist fights. So you get bruised up a little bit, you know. But I, I don't know why, but that, I just remember doing that. I'm like, probably because I'm a teenage kid. I'm like, this is so awesome. <laughs> we should start a fight club. <laughs> this is before fight club. We started a fight club. We didn't even know That's it. You remember, I beat, you remember I beat Jerome Boxing? He got mad. And he threw the gloves off and attacked <laughs> and, and you. It was, it was over. Yeah. Yes. He was like, oh, I can't beat you like this, but I will beat you like this. <laughs> that sounds like the uh, most recent Floyd May- May- Mayweather yeah. match. Uh-oh. Here's the first photo of me and Ryan together. This is 1999, and we had known each other at that point for close to a decade. Mm. This is graduation from uh, Lebanon High School in Lebanon, Ohio. Ryan is there looking svelte in his uh, JW garb, which he also mm. used to uh, uh, graduate in. Uh, and you can see me, I was already gaining some of the weight back at this point. And so mm. in my late teens and early 20s, I gained a lot of the weight back. And so I've gone through two sort of obese phases in my life. You could see it's just beginning again yeah. right here. Your mom took that picture. I'm glad she did. Did she really? Absolutely. And you yeah, can see my brother hiding in the background there. Yeah. Jerome is is yeah. somewhere behind Could, his Chevy Caprice, which is in front of my Chevy Caprice, I believe. I remember her taking it and she was like, I don't have any pictures of you and Josh. I'm like, I know. We just don't know why, but because we're not thinking about taking pictures with each other mm-hmm. <laughs> from fifth grade through high school. Maybe they can use us on a podcast someday. Right, exactly. Exactly. All right. So now. Well, hold on. Yes. Let's look at that. Beautiful car in the background. The Chevy Caprice? Oh, yeah. That one is Jerome's that used to be Pacho's. Yeah, that Caprice is... uh, I remember how awesome that was when he got it. So Jerome and I had matching Chevy Caprice. It's 1984. Yours was better. Yours was better. Well, mine was purple. (gasps) (gasps) It's full circle. Full circle. (laughs) Wow. With baby Daytons. They were real Daytons. Real. (laughs) They're not baby Daytons. They were 15-inch... Oh, my bad. Gold date. Real Dayton's real Dayton's. <laughs> yeah. You don't know nothing about that team. I don't know anything Dude, about it that. There ain't no future in your front. But, Come on. I mean, I'm not just saying this, but those were the two favorite cars in high school. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Those, those, yeah. yeah and, and this is, there's a metaphor here because I always liked Jerome's more. And I think he liked mine more. I don't know why we didn't just trade, but this is object A, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he totaled his, didn't have insurance and the rest is history. Yeah. It's all. It's all over from there. It's interesting because his was definitely, definitely um, the more conspicuous one. Just kind of show blue and and yours was like the flashy one. Yeah. So I could see why you were drawn towards his. Yeah. His yeah. his was uh, was much more understated, which I which I enjoyed. Yeah. Now before we get to the next photo here, we graduated high school. Ryan and I kind of went separate ways for a little bit. Ryan became hyper religious mm. and got married at age eighteen shortly after this picture was was taken. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's not that Damn. we there wasn't a definitive ending. We just had drifted apart. I went and got a corporate job. You were working for your dad for a while. When that didn't work out, you were working at a daycare center, and we reconnected because I was getting married, and I asked you to be in 
my wedding. Mm-hmm. So I was 22 years old at the time and we reconnected and we had seen each other from time to time, but like there was a period of time where we were only seeing each other, you know, a few times a year, let's, right. let's call it. Yeah. And, um, and then we reconnected when I was getting married the first time and asked you to be in the wedding. And then I said, Hey, you know, why don't you, uh, come climb the corporate ladder with me? So the next photo, this is roughly 2009-ish. Once we've ascended the corporate ladder, we spent all of the oddies climbing the corporate ladder. And now we're these hyper successful young men. And here is us, Ryan. (laughs) Look at Ryan Nicodemus. What were you saying about him earlier, Mallory? Or maybe it was Danny that was saying it about, um, it it almost looks like a, a superimposed face. I think Danny said, I, I don't think I would listen to a podcast from these guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were figuring it out. That's great, man. That's a good photo. Adam took that photo. Yeah. And this was yeah. like right when we were starting the minimal. So we were still in the corporate world. Our friend Adam uh, Dressler took this photo and we still had our white button up shirts on and we were making a transition. It was the end of one thing. It was the end of the corporate world for us, but it was also a new beginning, the beginning of the minimalist. So this is kind of, if you would have seen me and Ryan most days, we throughout the late oddies, we would have looked like this. Maybe we're wearing a jacket and a tie with it mm. as well. But this is what we look like. Josh and Ryan in the corporate world. <laughs> oh man. What I would say to those guys. Actually, I would just be like, you're doing great. Just keep doing You're going to figure out what you're screwing up and you're going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. All right. Next photo here. I thought it was going to be like a president's day or a president's club uh, event or something. Oh, yeah. The two of us. Yeah. Yeah. I I saw I found a few of those photos, but none of them were that compelling. No. We just looked absurd. Yeah. So uh, this one is 2010. This is us starting the blog, theminimalists.com. That's literally the moment they captured. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This might be a reenactment. (laughs) But. This is another photo from Adam. You can see Ryan with his short hair and no facial hair, really. And, mm. and we're there working on our computers. But this is how a lot of The Minimalist started, was the two of us at one of our kitchen tables writing essays and blog posts and coding and, and figuring out where do we go from here. Mm. Next photo. 2011. This is when we left the corporate world. We, <laughs> we published Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, which was our first book. We went on our first book tour, but before that, we had our very first media appearance, Ryan. Is this in Dayton? This is Dayton, Fox 45. It's me and you on these chairs at the local Fox station. They asked us to come talk about this. These two Dayton guys have gotten rid of their corporate jobs and they've gotten rid of most of their stuff. Can you come on the local television? Mm. And I can tell I don't think I've been more nervous in my life Mm. than the first interview. I don't know where the footage is from this. I'm sure it's out there somewhere in some archive. No. (laughs) (laughs) One hopes not. It all burned down in the great Dayton fire. That's right. And so here we are in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, doing our first interview. And I've been on all the big shows at this point, and I never felt this level of terror. As soon as the lights come on, the cameras... You just sort of freeze up. And somehow we made it work, and I'm sure it was fine. I don't remember a moment of it, but at least we have a photo to, uh, or a screenshot, really, to to commemorate the moment. Yeah. You know, there is that David Foster Wallace quote, uh, the microphone will pass your lips at least once in your life. Mm -hmm. 
when it does, make sure you're ready to sing. Luckily, we had mm. 600 times the mic passed before our lips. Yes. <laughs> and after that many times, you're naturally going to be ready to... <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think with the podcast, thank goodness we did all those media interviews beforehand. We were able to do the podcast because we yeah. had spoken so many times at live events. And yeah. TK, I'm sure you're similar in this respect. When we first started bringing you on the podcast, you already had so much experience speaking that speaking in front of a microphone was relatively natural. Or it was at least an easy transition. Yeah, absolutely. And And doing that with you guys was all the more easy. I felt like the camaraderie was just instant. Yeah. And and I, and I think that says something about the uh, the culture that you guys created. We've often used the basketball analogy of KD joining the Warriors. Well, we've seen KD join other things and that be a little bit of a rougher transition. So what was so special about the Warriors is there was an already established cultural fit, a strong connection. And all you got to do is just show up. The hard part is already done. Mm. That's what it's been like mm. conversing yeah. with you guys. Yeah. Well, in 2012, let's go to the next photo here. Ryan and I and our friend Colin Wright, we started uh, a company called Asymmetrical Press. We'll talk about that in a moment. We moved to a cabin in Montana. Uh, we also went on something called the Holiday Happiness Tour, which is one of my all-time favorite tours. Ten yeah. cities over the course of like three or four weeks. But this is a photo. Ryan, this is a, like a moment we were trying to decide, do we, are we starting a blog or are we starting a band? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this we could have we could have like released the debut album. This would have been the photo inside the liner notes there. Yeah. That Adam took somewhere downtown Dayton. It's a good photo. Did Looking, a band really almost happen? Well, yeah, we had to learn how to play instruments. Yeah, that was so, gonna be so <laughs> difficult. Like we can both play guitar uh slightly below average. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know that, and we neither one of us can sing very well. And y'all didn't know Alabama yet. Yeah, That's right. That's yeah. Right. We just needed a Alabama in our yeah. lives. And y'all didn't have R and B T K yet. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have been. Early. You, yeah. you could have been Mike, like Boys <laughs> to Men, right? Oh my gosh, we would have killed uh, it. So good. So this is us. Um, yeah. Well, let's go to the next photo. Yeah. 2013. <gasps> This is us with Colin Wright. We're in Missoula, Montana. We finally moved there. In 2012, Ryan and I moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere, and we wrote the first draft of Everything That Remains. And also, we started this publishing house called Asymmetrical Press. We ended up publishing works from, I think, nine different authors, if you count me, Ryan, and and Colin as those authors. Uh, mm. Sean Mahalik, we published several of his novels. We took a whole group of people on tour a few years later, mm. and that was this moment where I realized a few things. First off, it was a beautiful experiment, but I realized I didn't want to start some other company. Mm. And so it was great as an experiment, but that experiment helped me realize like, oh, I don't want to just go out here and run a publishing business. It was enjoyable. We continued to publish our own works, but we decided, hey, I don't want to be responsible for all of these other authors. Yeah, And our, our pitch was great. Whenever we brought a new author on, on board, it was, hey, let's fail together. We're going to help you fail better because there's a good chance you're going to write a book. It's not going to be some sort of wild bestseller. We can get you a little bit of distribution. We can help with the editing process, the design, the formatting, all of these things. But no one might not, re you might have not have anyone ever read your book or a very few number of, of people, but you're going to learn a lot through the process of publishing. Yeah. And that's what we learned as well. We learned a lot about publishing. 
about distribution. We formed relationships with 100 different independent booksellers as well. At one point, Ryan was managing all the interns for Asymmetrical Press. I think there was like 18 or 20 different interns yeah. that he had to, to manage. And it became this business. It was all consuming. I realized like, hey, this isn't for me. We've since dissolved Asymmetrical Press, but a lot of lessons came out of that um that chapter in our lives, especially we were living with Colin Wright in, in Missoula. Yeah. I mean, I, those are some of my fondest memories with Colin being with us for six months and watching all his ladies come and go the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was, uh, that was a really nice chapter, like being able to, to hang out with him. Um, Cause that's the only time, you know, I've ever really got to know him except through email or on tour or yeah. anything like that. Um, and it was a fun experiment. It was uh, one of those things that you try and you got to be ready to let go if it's not working. And it yeah. wasn't working, so we let go. That same year in 2013, we went on the the Spring Into Minimalism tour. That was a lot of fun. We had our smallest tour ever. We called it the uh, Al- Alberta Mini Mini Tour. I think it was two cities. Yeah. Uh, we just did Edmonton and Calgary. In fact, we've done Edmonton and Calgary a bunch since then. But we just drove north from Montana and said, hey, we're going to do a quick Canada tour. It's just two cities. <laughs> The smallest tour we ever did was two cities. Largest tour we ever did was 119 events, but that was one of our smallest. But that same year, this is the year that Ryan met his wife, Mariah. Oh, yeah. 2013. Can I tell a quick story about the biggest burn I ever got in my life from Colin? Tell me. So I I don't know if it was the Alberta tour or it doesn't matter. We were driving. It was snowing. We couldn't pass. So we had to like go get chains. Uh, We had to find a hotel room. So we find a hotel room out of checking many different places. And they're like, all we have is a king size bed. And Colin was like, we got to share a king size bed. And Josh and I are like, dude, we're not going to try and have sex with you in your sleep, dude. I promise. Just don't try and have sex with us. <laughs> so uh, we're like laying, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle and I'm laying out. And when I go to sleep, I do this where I'm like, mm, mm. I don't know why I just like do this weird little noise when I go to sleep. And Colin wakes me up and he's like, Ryan, what are you doing? are you masturbating in your sleep? (laughs) (laughs) And I go, Colin, you son of a bitch. Are you saying I can't even get laid in my dreams? (laughs) (laughs) I have, I still feel that burn to this day. Good one, Colin. Good one, Colin, right? (laughs) (sighs) All right. That same year we finished. uh... (laughs) I love Josh. Same year, we finished uh, Everything That Remains, our book, which is what we really spent the next year going out and promoting. That was the 100 City Tour. You can go to the next photo here. This was 2014. This is us in uh, Montana. We were still living there, but we were on the road most of the year that year. We were on the road um, for 10 months, eight countries, 100 cities, 119 events. The very end of that last city, Perth, Australia, the most remote city in the world. Ryan gets food poisoning from the sushi. Mm. And because we didn't have a very much money, our flight situation was 54 hours of flights in order to get back to Missoula, Ooh. Montana. Oh my. And so he had to endure food poisoning over the next 54 hours as we tried to make it back. On an to- airplane, dude. Oh, bless your heart. That's <laughs> I awful. Really, I had, a, I had a really good game. context of like, hey man, you were just in Australia. You get to see a doctor when you get home. You're not going to die, mm. you know. 
but it was freaking miserable. I didn't know that you weren't going to die. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, you know, when I actually went and saw the doctor, it was like two weeks after we got back. Hmm. So I'm like, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. And then the doctor was like, how many times are you going to the bathroom a day? I'm like, I don't know, like seven or eight times. He goes, you used the bathroom 120 times in the last two weeks and you haven't come to see me. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I guess when you look at it that way. <laughs> But I'm all fixed now and my stomach is stronger than ever. I've rebuilt it. I was going to say uh, that year 2014, the thing that really amazes me the most, <laughs> one of the things I should say, is I talk to Mariah every single day, dude. Yeah. Like every single day we Skyped, not just like talked, but like Skyped. You were on the road and so you didn't have that immediate access to her. I hope this mm -hmm. isn't his passive aggressive way to tell me he, he and I need to Skype every day as soon as he leaves. No, I would never. <laughs> I would never do that to you, Josh. I'm kidding. Okay, I know you would. Um, FaceTime. What a, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know you and your aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. I can't deal with the these tech issues that Skype has. Let's go to the next picture. This is 2015. Can I ask a question before we move on? Go for it. Ryan, was there a pivotal point? We, we see you with long hair in 2014. Mm -hmm. Was there a, a moment mm -hmm. you recall going, I think I'm going to try growing my hair out? Yeah, oh. I mean, go back to the previous two pictures here. Uh, this is Ryan with a little bit longer hair in 2013. Yeah, we see the beard come in too. Yeah. In 2012, he so didn't have So in all fairness, it. Mallory asked me this question, so I'll answer it. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't see the transition there, but there yeah. is a certain point where I'm with the Josh where you're in the cabin in the middle of the woods and I'm like, I really want to grow my hair out. And he was like, and I trust Josh. He's, he is my fashionista. <laughs> still is. He still is. Yeah. And, I, and he's like, I, he's like, I, I don't think it'll look good on you, dude. Don't worry about it. Like, don't, don't, don't worry about growing your hair out. Just keep, you know, it's fine. Maybe grow it out a little bit. And then maybe two or three months later, about when the three of us were living together. So that previous picture mm -hmm. at some point he was like, dude, I saw Jake Gyllenhaal with long hair. And you should grow your hair out, <laughs> which I still don't think I look like Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> but when Josh gave me permission, I was like, oh, maybe it will look good on me then. And yeah, turns out it did. It turns out yeah. it did. And that's when I, I was straightening it, too. It does look really good straight. <laughs> A lot of work, though. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I love that. That's the story. Yeah. Because it's become <laughs> your signature look. I can't yeah. ever see you clean shaven and with a crew cut again. It just doesn't look like you. I know. Yeah. I know. You can thank Josh Milburn for that and for it also not beginning sooner. <laughs> <laughs> it began precisely when it needed to. It absolutely did. And it's funny because like watching those, I was seeing the evolution that you were describing too, man. And if you stay tuned to the end of the episode, we'll be shaving his head. <laughs> it's for charity. The grand finale. Josh needs new hair. <laughs> um, Pubic hair. Yeah. No, I, I, the transition, I was noticing that too, man. I'm, I'm glad you were pointing that out because I was like, oh, wow, like the real Ryan is emerging. I can see it. Yeah. And this is when we transitioned from standing in front of brick walls to hanging out on railroad tracks mostly. <laughs> yeah, right. As you can see in this photo. You know, TK, there used to be a third minimalist back in the day, but uh, <sighs> we hung out on too many railroad tracks. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm not praying at all. <laughs> Let's do the next photo. This is us, just a couple guys doing laundry. I love this photo. It's the prettiest laundromat I've ever seen. It really is. This is actually the laundromat I used to go to when I lived in a place that didn't have a washer and dryer. And it's uh, it's the most absurd. It's very Missoula, Montana. They even have the mountains painted on the wall there. Yeah. This might be my favorite photo of us. Mm. Although too. there are a few coming up that I really like as well. Yeah, this is 
This is my favorite of what we've seen so far. So 2015, sure. this year, we published our third book called Essential, which is an essay collection, 150 essays, the best of the minimalist. Basically, we took the best from theminimalists.com, reworked them, re-edited them, and published that as a book. It's also the year I met Bex. And I met her at this really interesting time, right before we went on tour. We were going on the word tasting tour. We brought a bunch of authors out from Asymmetrical Press. Professor Sean was there. We did 35 cities all throughout the West and, and the mountain states. And um, we went to a bunch of Provo and Reno and um, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we Ryan and I sort of divided and conquered. Like yeah. we never went to all the same stops together. We did eight tour stops in Montana that year. Wow. I mean, you have to get real creative to find eight cities in Montana. It's like <laughs> Hamilton, <laughs> Kalispell. First one to get in mind. Yeah. That <laughs> and, was a fun tour though, man. Yeah, it was It was a blast. And all any of the money that we made, we gave it to all the authors. So Ryan and I didn't make any money from that tour. Yeah. Not that that's good or virtuous, but we thought it'd be fun to just say, hey, let's take some authors. We took a musician, poet, and we just had an awesome tour together, beautiful experience together. And we called it the word tasting tour. Do you remember why and how I got came up with that name? No. So we were doing a book reading in Missoula, Montana, Shakespeare and Co. And right next door, there was this wine shop and um, we had a reading there. A bunch of people showed up and one of the, I don't know what you would call them in Missoula. They're certainly not uh, (laughs) sommeliers in Missoula. Ish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the sommelier comes out from the wine shop next door. He goes, oh, what are you guys doing over here? I'm saying, I just like, uh, kind of what you're doing. I know I see your sign. You're doing a wine tasting right now and, Mm. or tonight. He goes, uh, we're doing a book reading. We're going to hand out some hugs and answer some questions and, and and just talk about this minimalism thing. He goes, oh, so it's kind of like a word tasting. Mm. Yes. I said, I'm going to use that at some point in time. And then I did a few years later when we did the the word tasting tour. That's awesome. In 2015. 2016, that's when we actually released Minimalism. But also Ryan and I, we helped open a coffee shop in St. Petersburg, Florida. So here's us being a couple of little baristas, Ryan. So cute. Making our pour overs at Bandit Coffee. (laughs) BanditCoffee.co if you're interested in learning more about that. But we uh, we went down there to screen our first film. And Joshua Weaver and his wife, Sarah Weaver, who were opening the coffee shop, we were trying to help them out by screening our film there. We'd bring in some new customers, bring in some awareness. And they're like, hey, you know what? I don't think we're going to have the money to finish opening the shop, mm. to put the finishing details in it. Uh-oh. Uh, that's a problem. So how much money do you need? And he tells us, and it's literally within a thousand dollars of Ryan's and my life savings at the time. In business, it's called retained earnings. Yes. That <laughs> <laughs> makes it sound less scary. Oh, we have retained, retained earnings. earnings. It's not my entire life savings. <laughs> Which happens to be my life savings. Yes. <laughs> and so we were like, hey, we really believe in you. We knew there were these talented, creative folks that had this vision for a creative community space with high quality coffee and food. And so we decided to partner with them mm-hmm. in 2016. They opened the shop. We worked there for a couple of days and uh, we've been partners ever since. We were not allowed to touch the espresso machine. Yeah, which is probably <laughs> for the best. We didn't have money to replace it. Right. You guys do the pour overs. No, that was a lot of fun, man. I remember the line out the door and... Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun making pour overs, especially like, I think that totally upped my pour over game. Cause I made, you know, however many. Yes. And, uh, like we were giving me some tips and Chris giving me some tips and Sarah giving me some tips. But anyway, 
I know it seems like such a simple thing, but there's a lot going on with oh, just pouring yeah. water over coffee grounds. Yeah. It's, it's an art and a science, right? Yeah, it really because is. you can get all the scientific measurements and components right, but there's also just, there's a flow to it. When you get the flow right, and it could be placebo, I don't know, but the coffee seems to taste better when you get the flow right. Dude, so I, w- I saw Peter Doran, uh, who does every little thing, the, the uh, song that we start every podcast with. I saw him while I was in Ireland just a couple weeks ago. And he has like a legit pour over kit. And he was like, yeah, the last time you were here, he was like, you had, you brought your coffee and your pour over kit. And when you left, I'm like, I want to be a, I want to be a pour over guy. And, uh, and I made him get some good coffee too. So he's making his coffee and a, and a piece of me was like, you know what? There's just a couple little things you can do that'll, you know, I can maybe make it better. And there was just one morning that presented itself where it was like, either I was going to make the coffee or have to wait on Peter to make it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And he came down in the middle of it and I was joking. I'm like, I wish I had to make a real pour over. And long story short, it was not nearly as good as his. And I was so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was so mad. The teacher becomes the student. Well, you oh, know, man. it's the whole, uh, you know, they don't go by the imperial system over there. So it kind of messed me up a little bit. <laughs> oh, wait, they, <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> uh, no, they you, spell leader wrong. That's right, the exactly, problem. exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's what I love about Ryan's and my relationship is we are mentors to each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I love the word mentor because I feel like you've been a mentor to me and a mentee of mine equally. Like mm. it feels to me like this, and it's not always 50-50, like there's 12 hours today, I'm going to be your mentor. And then 12 hours in the afternoon, I will be your mentor. No, but over a long enough timeline, you've mentored me in ways that allowed me to be more wiggly. And I've uh, mentored you in ways that have helped you set up you know, rigidity or structure in your life. Yeah, And um, we've done so in a non-prescriptive way. Yeah, Not here's how you should do it, but oh, wow. I really like how you're doing the pour over. Not, hey, Peter, you should do a pour over. (laughs) Oh, wow, I like that. And then what happens is he does it enough and now you're learning something from him. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love that about a relationship, man. Go for it, TK. Well, I was just want to say from the outside looking in because I don't have a relationship with either of you guys. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) We try. We always try. (laughs) You know how many times I invited him to Ohio? I just stopped at some point. Right. (laughs) There's another one in here that's... (laughs) We're doing this again? Are, are we? Are you gonna badge me? For how? No, uh, okay. TK. Okay. You know what? It's not just no, you. It's no, Danny he, too. He also does this hey, to us. R- Ryan, I'm sorry for not being as good of a friend to you as Josh is. <laughs> hey, Josh, I'm sorry that I haven't known you for 12 years, man. And hopefully, I can be a, a half decent friend to you one day as well. Does, does, I, I accept your apology. <laughs> Carry on. Does TK know that this is all coming from him and not us? <laughs> Do you know how we love each other is through insulting each other? Yeah. Love or, yeah. or compu salts. <laughs> yeah, we call them compu salts. Oh, TK, I'm so smart. <laughs> Say such brilliant things, more brilliant than Ryan. <laughs> People understand what I say. <laughs> What's it called? Okay, uh, what? Uh, what? Compusalt. Yeah, it's a compliment through, through hidden insult. through an insult. Yeah, yeah, There's a veil it. of insult. <laughs> right. That's why we'd always compliment. Um, we got this, in fact, because when Colin lived with us, the lady who who did this uh, article in the local alt pa- paper there, we did, they, they did this cover article of us, and they said, it's ironic that one of the founders of Asymmetrical Press is the most symmetrical man you will ever meet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that, it's, a it's a compliment, but it's also an insult. It's right. a compusult, I guess. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh, All right. Continue your compliments. You. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> well, I got to figure out a way to integrate it 
an insult with it so mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. fit in here. No, um, I, I think there are some people who can't work together or be friends with each, with each other unless there are clear hierarchical distinctions, right? Like I'm the teacher in this relationship. I'm the big brother mm-hmm. in this relationship, right? I'm the boss. And it, it's just the, um, it's just really cool how the two of you can be not only friends, but also be business partners, co-workers with one another without having that clear hierarchical distinction. Like you're, you both have said, even just naturally, conversationally in, in this discussion, like you taught me that. Oh, I thought I learned that from you. Mm-hmm. You both steal each other's ideas. You both are inspired by one another and there's no hierarchy. It's just, hey, we're brothers. And sometimes I'm the bigger brother. Sometimes you're the little brother. And sometimes it's the other way around. I just think that's really cool and rare. A lot of people can learn from that, especially me. Yeah, but also it's stupid. <laughs> See, that's how you just, there you go. That's right. But, 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 also, it's but stupid. also it's a complete yeah. waste of time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I'm thinking of something that uh, Henry Cloud talks about, uh, where he talks about wearing different hats, having the ability to wear different hats in a relationship. Mm. And I think about um, Dave Ramsey, his daughter works for him. Rachel, our, our friend Rachel Cruz works for Dave Ramsey. But when she works for Dave Ramsey, she's not Dave Ramsey's daughter. She's Dave Ramsey's employee. Dave Ramsey is the CEO in that aspect. But then there are other times where she's able to change the hat and not operate as employee, but operate as daughter. And he Mm -hmm. is dad. And I think that's one thing that Ryan and I do really well. He's able to recognize that I'm his daddy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm his daddy. We're each other's daddy. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what happens when both people in a relationship call each other daddy? (laughs) Uh, Sex. (laughs) You know, there's so many things that we have done that no one else has done before. We should just start calling each other daddy. (laughs) All right, daddy. (laughs) Oh, no, dude. I just, TK, I don't take that for granted either, man. Like there is a, there is a very special connection that, um, that I have felt from the first day I met him. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it is, it is a very, it is a very unique thing that I don't, um, that I just don't take for granted. I just want you to know that I want everyone listening to know this, that like, it's really been, um, an amazing freaking friendship. Yeah. And it still is going to be an amazing freaking friendship. It's weird because like, you know, things are going to start looking differently, but it's not weird in the bad sense. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that different feels weird because it's uncomfortable. Something is changing when something ends, something new begins. And that change feels a little weird at first. Right. Oh, yeah. And And, uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when like Josh and I first started talking about how we were going to do this. He asked me, he's like, what's your goal here? Like what, you know, what, what, you, what, what's your outcome? And it was, uh, to become better friends than we are now. And dude, we both held that context really well. Yeah. 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 And, and also that helped us understand like, Hey, where do we want to go from here? It, because if we just want to dissolve the minimalist, I don't, I don't want that. But if we think that's the best route forward, mm-hmm. great, we can do that. But can we still be the, I mean, we'll always be the minimalists, right? Like it it started. And even if we said, all right, the sun is setting on this and I'm going to go, you know, uh, be an actor now. And Ryan's going to go produce plays in Missoula, Montana. That'd be fine. We'd still be the minimalists, right? Mm. But holding the context of, yeah, I want our friendship to remain solid and perhaps even improve. Yeah, Improvement is not 
my goal per se. Mm -hmm. It's to have an outstanding friendship with Ryan. Yeah. My friendship has been outstanding with Ryan. I want it to continue to be outstanding. That doesn't mean that it is going to be flawless. It doesn't mean there's not going to be disagreements. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be resentments from time to time. In fact, I think when we started having this conversation, it dragged up some really difficult conversations and resentments and frustrations that we had for each other mm. that we didn't even realize that we had because we had just been motioning forward for so long and everything's mm. great. But guess what? There are a few things that were like, oh yeah, we should probably examine this together. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be hard to do that. But that's what he was talking about. We don't have these conversations because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt your feelings. Mm. But I know that Ryan's not trying to hurt my feelings. And if my feelings are hurt, and even if I think in the moment, Ryan hurt my feelings. Now I can step back and say, no, only I hurt my feelings. But even if I know in my heart that Ryan hurt my feelings, I can know that he didn't try to hurt my feelings. That's the truth, man. And likewise. Yeah. And that's, yeah, we could just go on and on and on. Because that was a that was really important to me, man. Just to come out friends because it is it is hard to talk about the hard things mm -hmm. and sometimes you avoid the hard things because status quo is so much easier mm -hmm. and um man like mm, i don't know if we want to get into it right now i'll just we don't have to but i'll just say this man josh you've been carrying this for 13 years dude You want to talk about boulders? Dude. Mm. Mm, it's fucking inspiring. And I'm glad you had the courage to ask to put them down. Mm. I'm glad you had the courage to put them down. Maybe you didn't ask, but maybe ultimately that's what it led to. No, I think it was an asking. Knowing that I could set them down, right? But it's also worth talking about, hey, man, I'm going to set these down. This has gotten kind of heavy. Yeah. <sighs> I love you, man. <laughs> I love you, too. I know you do. That was for the audience. We didn't really have to say it, but we were both thinking it. Yeah. Thanks, Mal. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. <sighs> well, Danny, I don't know where we go from here. We got some more photos, I guess. But... um. The next one's 2017. This is uh, this when we first came to LA. Oh, Aww. dude, that was that was the um, oh the crappy YouTube video. They're not crappy, but <laughs> it was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. That's what it was. I, it's one of the you. most popular things we've ever done. Believe it or not. Oh no, it was great. I'm just yeah. Yeah, I ran into Sky recently. She uh, she doesn't work for BuzzFeed anymore. Uh, Sky Callen is the the gal who uh, interviewed us here, but. I guess they thought it'd be cool. We're the minimalists. Let's bring a white couch in and a white floor, white walls, and uh, have a couple guys talk about getting rid of our stuff. But this was like when we started to transition into mm. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, this is right before we moved here. We were on the tour 2017. We called it the Less Is Now tour. Mm -hmm. That talk that we gave on that tour was the premise of our second film. Mm. It was actually how we structured the second film was around that Less Is Now talk. And that's why we named mm -hmm. the film Less Is Now. We were sort of reworking the Less Is More phrase from Mies van der Rohe. Less is now. Like, now is the time for less. Now is the time for letting go. When's the best time to let go? Now. Mm -hmm. And it's always now, so we can always let go. We can pick back things back up as we need to. But now is the time for 
less. Yeah. Let's move on to the next photo here, Danny. 2018 was a year that this is Ryan and I fighting over a brick, an actual brick. <laughs> and so this is Jordan took this photo. This is late 2018. Now, why are we fighting over a brick? Do you remember, Ryan, what we oh, did yeah. here? Dude, this is one of my favorite philanthropic things we've ever done. I think I just rolled my R on that somehow, but uh, <laughs> philanthropic. <laughs> no, it was great, man. That, that was um, for the um, food co-op in Dayton, Ohio. And we had contacted, uh, or did they contact us? And I think we contacted them and asked them if we could help. Yeah, and, yeah. I, we knew that they were at a point where they didn't have enough money the second largest food desert in the country. It was west side of Dayton. Uh, 40% of Dayton lives there, but there's zero grocery stores, or at least there were after yeah. Kroger closed in 2008. So mm. there was a decade of no grocery stores. The only place people got food was at like Church's Chicken or 7-Eleven. And it was just a bunch of garbage, right? Liquor stores yeah. where you could buy food products. Fast food and convenience stores. Exactly. And is that what people yeah. were doing or were they, yes. were they going outside? Of no, no. It was really hard to go grocery shopping on the west side of Dayton. And uh, it's this underserved community, but underserved in, in two respects. One is no grocery store, but also no health education, mm-hmm. right? And so what the co-op has done that we were fortunate enough to help build, not just me and Ryan and our team, but our whole audience contributed. And so what we did is we sold bricks, basically. Yeah. We went to our audience and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, one dollar at a time. If you contribute $1, you're effectively buying one brick. It was a metaphor. You weren't buying a literal brick, but you were allowing us to buy the last bricks that we needed to mm-hmm. build this store. And so we, uh, this this grocery co-op, not just provide food, but provide health food education mm-hmm. for a community that desperately needed it. Yeah, And that's something we've done pretty sub- significantly over the last 13 years around. We were in the corporate world. We were making really good money in the corporate world, but we were broke because we were spending it all on things for us. Mm. Luxury goods, look at me, look at me, look at me. Because what was that look at me? That look at me was a proxy for witness me. Yeah. It never actually got people to witness me. It got people to witness the idealized version that I had created through my Lexuses and oversized house and, and nice things and fancy suits or whatever. And yet, we didn't contribute beyond ourselves in a meaningful way, really at all. Toward the end of it, you and I started to bring our employees. And actually, I got yelled at by my boss for bringing our employees <laughs> to soup kitchens. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you'd be take time away from your stores to do. I'm like, we're serving the community in which our stores are located. Yeah. Under the name of the company. Like, yes. Yeah. And so what yeah. Ryan and I decided early on is <clears throat> each year we want to contribute to some sort of philanthropic project. And so over the past dozen years, with significant contributions from our audience, it's not just Ryan and I opening up checkbooks for this. We've built two orphanages. We provided relief to the victims of Hurricane Harvey, supported the the survivors of those two nightclub shootings in Las Vegas, or the Las Vegas shooting and the nightclub shooting in Orlando. Um, Those mass shootings that happened, there were a lot of uh, survivors from those that needed some some funding. We funded a high school for a year in Kenya. That was an accident. It was a on the back end of we were building an elementary school in Laos. Yeah. And we had extra funds. And so we needed a place to locate those funds. And Ryan's like, how about my bank account? And, <laughs> no, he would never do that. And so what we decided was like, let's find another worthy cause. And there was a, a friend of ours, Tyson, who we were working on the project with. 
there was a high school in need in Kenya. So we funded a high school for a year in Kenya. We installed a bunch of clean water wells through places like Charity Water uh, in Malawi and other countries that need, desperately need clean water. Mm. Also mosquito nets in some of those countries to fight malaria, which is the number one killer of humans of all time. 50% of all human deaths are Mm. the result of malaria. Mm. 50% of all humans who have ever Ever. died, died of malaria. It's crazy. And for like five bucks as a mosquito net, $2,500 saves a life. They've quantified this, Mm -hmm. right? And so what we've done is we've found ways to reach out to our audience and contribute to that. We still contribute to that to to this day. Yeah. We built that nonprofit grocery co-op on the west side of Dayton. Um, Last year, we partnered with Ramsey Solutions, Ramsey Education to provide well, the curriculum of personal finance to every middle school and high school student in the Dayton metro area, almost every student. Uh, There was one school district that didn't allow the teachings in there because of, I guess, they're they're afraid there was a religious connotation of the Ramsey team. Mm. But besides that, we put that education, funded it for an entire year. So we gave everyone from our hometown the ability to better understand financial education. So these are some philanthropic projects that we've done. I think this picture here, it typifies that. It shows like how playful we can be here. Like we're fighting over this brick. No, I want to contribute. No, I want to contribute. When contribution becomes playful and fun, it's a totally different game. Yeah. Mm. Man, I could not have listed all those out, but hearing you go through them, it's awesome that we've been able to give in that way. Like, yeah, that's incredible. Big thanks to our audience who has helped us contribute beyond ourselves. Yeah. More than we ever anticipated. Because that's really who it's on. I mean, I would love to sit here and say how great we are, but you're right. It is our audience that really made all that stuff possible. Absolutely. We were just a conduit. Yeah. Reasons I love Ryan 2,362. (laughs) He didn't even remember most of the things that he's contributed to that have made other people's lives better. You just named a whole bunch of stuff. And Ryan was like that moment where uh, somebody quoted Lil Wayne, a Lil Wayne lyric to Lil Wayne. He was like, oh, that's nice. They were like, you wrote it. He's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ryan just had that moment for uh, philanthropic endeavors. But that's really cool because it, it, it just shows that's the type of person I've seen since I've met you. You're more concerned about the virtue than the signal. You're more concerned about making the connection and being generous with people than bottling it up, packaging it up and signaling to the world in some way that makes you seen as a good person. You care more about being a good human being Mm. than about branding yourself as a good human being. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. Yeah. yeah. Now there's a, Thanks, a there's a better way to make it a CompuSalt, okay? You say something like, I love Ryan's shitty memories <laughs> because he's so selfless. Right? It's right, like right. you you have to throw an insult in there, otherwise he's not gonna be able to receive this. Right. I, pre- I appreciate the coaching. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you could have worded it a little bit better, but it definitely helps. <laughs> what else we got? What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> this oh is my. this is 2019. This is a photo in Jordan's house, actually. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now this is to scale. This is actually our height difference in real life. <laughs> Jordan has to go through all kinds of labor. Ooh. He and Danny on the back end with Photoshop. They literally it's 32 frames a second. They're they're touching up every frame to make mm-hmm. Ryan appear to be the same height as me. Mm. <laughs> this is the Museum of Illusion, I think it was what it was called. And mm. we we were in there, and literally we're this room. 
makes it look like one person is three feet taller than the other person, even though we're standing just in different parts of the room. That was a very cool museum. Because, yeah, there's no Photoshopping. There's no touch-ups. There's no... Well, there might be some, like, post-coloring or something, but... No, there's not. But for all intents and purposes, like, yeah, that's... Ex- we, Ryan, you stand here. Josh, you stand there. And then you take the picture. And I say it looks like Jordan's house. He gave me a FaceTime tour of his home recently. And Jordan has the most colorful, playful house I've ever seen. And it's hyper-intentional. Mm. It's not like he a, a rainbow just threw up on his walls. There's color ever. You walk in, like the pink entryway. Maybe I'll be able to convince him to, uh, to do a... Uh, a tour. Actually, I think he just needs to get permission from his significant other. But yeah. I would love to display it because it shows you that someone can be a minimalist and still have hyper expression throughout their home and intentionality throughout their home. It doesn't have to be monochrome. You don't always have to wear a black shirt. Sometimes you can wear a purple shirt and it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while. Let's do the next photo here real quick. Mm. We're almost done here. 2020. We, oh, oh by the way, that last year was 2019. That was yeah. the year we finished, uh, or we, be, we began writing Love People Use Things, which we'll get to in a moment. But this is us in 2020. And this is a photo we actually took for Love People Use Things. We didn't mm. end up using, but that's me and Bex and Ryan and Mariah next to my old home here in West Hollywood. And uh, just smiles all around. Yeah, that's a great picture, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've spent so many times together, so, so much time together, so many memories together. And I thought this was a perfect way to sort of encapsulate all of that through some really big smiles. Yeah, man. 2021, this is the year that I don't generally like to do two things in a year, but it just happened this way because there was some sort of pandemic that happened I heard about. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, postponed our film and it postponed our book launch. So mm. here's a picture of me and Ryan. I'm looking confused. Ryan is reading the book and I'm, I'm carrying a stack of books here. I love People Use Things, which was our first New York Times bestseller. Mm. Ironically, I've never talked about this before. It's our first New York Times bestseller. I've not talked about it publicly. I think it's our least selling book out of all of our books. It just shows that like when you get a publisher involved who plays a particular game, then you can get on this list. And the cool thing is once you're a New York Times bestselling author, Ryan, you have it forever. They can't take it away from you. They can try. <laughs> no, it, I don't, so <clears throat> you said something that I, I, I didn't think was how it happened. You said how the publisher plays a game. To me, I thought it went down where basically the New York Times bestseller list will snub you if you don't have a legit publisher. Yeah, if you don't play the game, essentially. Oh, I like, see. Yeah. Wait, what do you okay. mean? So like uh, something <clears throat> like 85 or 90% of um, authors who are on the New York Times bestseller list, they they are on one of five publishing imprints. Yeah. Macmillan being one. Ours was uh, Celadon, who's a subsidiary of Macmillan. Mm-hmm. And so first off, you need to have the credentials, right? Mm-hmm. But then also you have to have, um, you have to, play by whatever the game might be. So Dave Ramsey, whose book, The Total Money Makeover, that should be on the New York Times bestseller list even today, to every week. Day, yeah. I, mean, it's, I think it's what, eight or 10 million copies sold. Yeah. I mean, an obscene amount of books. I mean, we're talking 
orders of magnitude more than most bestsellers. Many New York Times bestsellers, you can sell 10,000 copies and get on the list, which is a lot of books. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But 10,000 is certainly appreciably different from millions of copies. You can outsell anything on that list. You can outsell everything on that list yeah. and still not make the list because you're not playing the game. You know, right. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I'm not saying the game is good or bad. If you understand <laughs> the game... And you want to be a New York Times bestseller because it allows you in certain doors or whatever? Fine. But you don't get any magical feeling from becoming a New York Times bestselling author. You just get a little laurel that you can put on your website, essentially. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I don't take the laurels for granted. There's some really cool laurels out there. And I'm happy to accept them. But yeah. <laughs> But not need them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that same year, we also released Less Is Now, which was our second film. And we went on the Love People Use Things tour at the the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. 20 different cities throughout North America. That got postponed a few times because of COVID. And then we eventually went out and finally got to go to those cities, do a reading, do a new talk. And it was uh, was a lot of joy there. TK joined us for six of those tour stops in 2021 and 2022. Speaking of 2022, we'll move on to the next photo here. This, 2022, is when TK officially joined Mm -hmm. the podcast as co-host. We also did the Sunday Symposium events. That's where this photo was taken, right out in front of Dynasty Typewriters, the theater at the Hayworth. And uh, you can see the minimalists up there on the marquee. This is a sort of behind-the-scenes photo that that Danny took of the three of us. Uh, TK came on board the same year that our film that TK was in as well, Less Is Now, was nominated for an Emmy. I totally thought it was a joke. I thought someone had pranked me or it was, was, it was like some sort of phishing scam. I had to look and see, oh yeah, it actually says at Netflix in the email address. Okay. Uh, I didn't recognize, I didn't realize that we'd be nominated for an Emmy. Ryan and I went to the Emmys that year. We walked out in the middle of it. So I've told that story on the podcast before. You can go back to the episode with Matt Nathanson if you want to hear that. But basically in the middle of the advertising award segment, Ryan and I just looked at each other. We didn't have to say anything. We just like nodded and we both got up, walked out of the room because we knew that like, oh, they're giving out awards for advertisements. What, what are we doing here? Yeah. Mm. And so we were gone. (laughs) Yeah. Still pretty cool to be nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Don't need it, but it's, it's wonderful that we, the film got recognized and I think it Mm. actually helped the film reach more people, which if anything, that's a beautiful benefit. Yeah. I'll tell you the thing that really surprised me the most during the Sunday symposiums is, so how many of those did we do? Four? Five. Five. Mm -hmm. There were people who came to every single one of them. That's right. Yeah. That was, I mean, it was definitely the minority of the crowd, but like, it was amazing, like, to see how, I don't know, man, just how invested people are in us. Yeah. And it's, it's things like that that I'm like, you know, we got to keep doing something. And it was kind of like our 11th tour in a way, because it was a a residency of sorts. Mm -hmm. We did the same venue five times, five different months. And you're right. People kept coming over and over. But then also it was fascinating to see people. There was at least one person there who flew there from Germany. Mm -hmm. There are people who came down from San Francisco. There are people who came from Kansas, Florida, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. I met several people at these events. They came from long distances yeah. just to see one of the minimalists live events. Yeah. And so yeah, we'll we'll do some other iteration of touring or live events in the future because I do think it's one of our it's one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you're traveling. 
but it's one of the most rewarding things that we do yeah. as well. Absolutely. And, and in a world of increasing abundance, it's becoming one of the most scarce, indispensable things. Like the one thing AI can't do yet is look you in the eye and say, hey, man, it's going to be all right. AI can't give you a hug. Mm. And once it develops that ability, I'll be producing my new horror movie called The Computer That Hugs. <laughs> you should get a hold of the producers of Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me a business idea. What think about fleshlight, but for hugs. But for hugs. Oh my son. Aren't those just like the big body pillows? <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only way we could have sold that oh, idea. Shoot. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, let's go to the next photo real quick. This is this year, me and Ryan and and TK with our custom black background, and uh, I think we just re we redid some some new cover art for the for our podcast. So you'll see the three of us on the cover art really mm -hmm. soon. But having TK on board as a third mic on the podcast has been something that has really expanded our ability to talk about things. I was just talking to, to Chris Ryan about this. I was on his podcast talking about the re-release of minimalism on YouTube. And he's like, don't you guys ever get tired? Like, all right, we've said everything we need to say about stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's like maybe 10 or 20% of what we talk about. Especially I, what I said to him is after bringing TK on to the show, like we've gotten into a lot more about philosophical clutter mm -hmm. and ideology clutter. And Chris had this great term we'll probably talk about in a future podcast episode, concern clutter, mm. where we pretend we're outraged about the next thing that we should be concerned about. Mm -hmm. And we're so concerned about everything that we're not actually concerned about anything. Mm. And I think this year has been a line of demarcation for us, not just because of Ryan's new chapter, but we've gotten into this new flow and you'll see a new flow emerge as we figure out what the pattern is for our next chapter. And TK has helped us shape that in beautiful ways. And TK, you've been an amazing addition to the podcast. Amen. You really have. Dude, oh, I got to tell you, every time we had you as like a surprise special guest, we, we do surprise special guests all the time on our live events. No one gets half the applause that you get, dude. Like when you walk out on that stage, like now they know you're coming. So, you know, you get the same applause as us. <laughs> but he, he did it. That's the CompuSol. That's the CompuSol. There you go. He's learning. Yep. All right. Uh, I need uh, this back for one second. All right. So we just looked at 2023. That photo is on the screen right now. And here is 2024. Me and Ryan. Hanging out. <laughs> so good. Oh my god, this looks like Oh man. I get the oh, weirdest boner. Can you imagine the things I'm gonna do to this cutout when you're gone, Ryan? Oh dude. He's <clears throat> gonna be crushed from hugs. Yes. <laughs> Hugcrusher.com. <laughs> and then I have one more photo for you. This right, is a photo it. from the future. This is the minimalist 2049. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So yes! this is a regular thumbnail. Jordan, to give you some context here, mm -hmm. Jordan asked Adobe AI to make some photo changes. Jordan, what exactly did you ask for when you asked AI to make a, um, to make the minimalists into whatever the hell this is? This is amazing. Well, um, I started with Ryan, I think. I was like, you know, Ryan could use a, a, a hat. So I, I just said, you know, give Ryan a hat. And, and the first one was a, a pirate hat. So I was like, oh, 
Let's go with that. And uh, and then you, your hand was looking a little lonely, so I think I, I, I gave it a microphone. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, I forget. I'm not actually looking at the photo right now, but I, I'm pretty sure I asked it to make a new minimalist logo. And the funniest yes. thing that it came up with is it it just wrote out Mimbasils. <laughs> Mimbasils. And I was Which, like, this is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> I realized our biggest mistake, Ryan. If we would have just, instead of calling ourselves the minimalists, if we would have called ourselves the imbeciles. Oh, yeah. We could have gotten away with so much more. <laughs> so much more. So much more idiocy. No. What do you expect from us? We're the imbeciles. We're the imbeciles. It's never too late course, to evolve. Yeah. Of course we don't get it. And for whatever reason, there's a mask on me, Jordan. I just put a mask on me. And then TK has turned into grandfather TK all of a sudden. <laughs> Ryan has, I mean, he's turned like super thin in this photo and clearly has veneers. I feel like <laughs> his chest is showing. I feel like he put my head on your body. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what I did, I remember now, I, I took a look at the picture again. Uh, I, It's kind of hard to tell, but I changed everyone's shirt. Um, and all I did was just ask it to make to change it to a black shirt. And yours, Ryan, somehow had a collared shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, yeah, I gave TK a beard. So eventually AI will take over the podcast. And I, su- I suspect this is what we will look like on the video version. We'll yeah. all have cardboard cutouts before That's you right. do it. I'm going to say goodbye to Ryan. Bye, Ryan. <laughs> Bye, Ryan. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's move on. TK, you had some questions for Ryan. It's your opportunity to interview Ryan Nicodemus. What do you got for us? All right, in. let's dive right in. All right, Ryan, if you had to start a new podcast today... Mm-hmm. And you couldn't talk about minimalism. What would it be about? Um, I actually did start a new podcast with a couple a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Dylan Stewart and Sean Stewart. We've recorded a couple episodes, um, but so Dylan is in the men's work that I'm in. He's yep. he's uh, on like in a different organization, but him and I were talking about how it would be really cool to do a podcast around you know being. Uh, like a divine masculine man. Cause I think that, I don't know. I think that that's all I know. Like I wouldn't feel qualified to um, talk about how to be a divine feminine or, you know, whatever. Um, But the podcast is not just for men. The podcast is for men and the women that love men and it's going really well. And we're just covering real simple things like, um, Oh, we did a, uh, an episode. My favorite episode is about us really understanding our fathers a little bit more. And we did this really cool exercise where we'd like role played. So I would like act as Eric Nicodemus and then they would ask me questions and I would answer as Eric Nicodemus. And we, we just came up with this like funny idea, like, Oh, you know, this is what we'll do. It might be interesting. Dude. I learned more about my dad in that podcast Mm. than I have like leading up to this point. I had no idea like how valuable that little role playing exercise was going to be. So um, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm already doing that. First off, that exercise is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I might need to go home and, and ask my wife to, to do that with me. <laughs> like that would just be really cool. And, and you could extend that to other people too, right? You could do that for your significant other. You can do that for your brother. Mm-hmm. It just make, you know, like we experience it when we're on the podcast, when you have to articulate your thoughts, that's very different than just thinking them. The moment you take an opinion and you say, I'm going to share it with the world, mm-hmm. it makes you process it differently. So that's really cool to kind of 
do that through your father and uh, the things you learn. So anyway, I'm yeah. still in that. That's a great idea. Yeah. But I, I know you said you don't want to get in, get lost in the weeds on defining things like the divine masculine or the concepts of the show. But mm-hmm. tell me, what was it about these themes that made you say, yeah, I want to be a part of that? There's a lack of fathering going on right now. Mm. And like when I went and did the men's work, I had no idea how much I needed the fathering that I've received from it. Mm. So... I think that was really the the precipice of it is like, how can we in a fatherly way talk about some things that we've had to go through and things that we are going through. That's what's nice about this podcast too. Like we talk about stuff that's going on like right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking, we're still finding our footing. We are, we've recorded four episodes. There's two of them that are kind of publishable. Yeah. So like, we're still working on that. Um, it's like awesome. We started the minimalist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, RyanNickademus.com. Put your email on there. I will let you know when we uh, start publishing episodes. Did you come up with a official title for the podcast yet? Yeah. It's so, Is it public? It's uh, No, but oh, I can announce it here, though. It's called uh, The Bottle Cap Podcast, which I'll tell you how we came up with that name. We were working so hard on coming up with a name, something that we wanted to like really capture the essence of what we were trying to do. And so we came up with the name. I forget what it was, but we come to find out like nobody checked copyrights. And like it was, it was copy, copy. Yeah, it was already taken. So somebody had uh, copyrights on it. So we're, we're having like a third or fourth conversation about what we're going to name this thing. And Dylan, he's like, I don't care if we call it the Bottle Cap Podcast. Let's just come up with a name. I'm like, that's it, dude. <laughs> that's the name of the podcast. Yeah. He was like, why? I was like, give me a metaphor with a bottle cap. He's like, well, you know, sometimes like you got to keep it in, but sometimes you got to let it out. I'm like, that's the bottle cap podcast, dude. Wow. <laughs> and what a great story behind it. Man. Yeah. It's yeah. always the story behind the <laughs> it's name. So good. Yeah. If somebody, if, some, if someone were to ask me, Hey, who is the least likely of all the people, you know, to fail at crossing off everything on their bucket list? I will say Ryan Nicodemus, because you strike me as the kind of guy who just lives for the now lives for the adventure. Mm. You, all the things that people say they want to do. I want to write a book. I want to learn how to surf. All those types of things. You've done those things or you are in the middle of learning how to mm. do them. And I, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about anything in terms of, oh, one day it'd be nice to learn how to do this. It seems like if you want to do it, you're, you're doing it already. So my question to you is, is there anything on your bucket list that you haven't touched yet? Yeah. I don't really have bucket lists, man. Um, I've been to 49 states, haven't been to Alaska yet. Would love to do that. Mm. But I'd like to do that with Josh, though. Um, would love to go to Antarctica. There's certain things. I haven't seen the Grand Canyon yet. There's some really simple things I'm saving for when I'm like 60 and I can't move around as well anymore. I can just go do the easy things. Which Antarctica sounds really hard, but like they have these really nice tours. <laughs> you go, you step out. I touch Antarctica and then you get back in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I heard about the submarine that they were going down to the Titanic or oh, something. Yeah. I was listening so, to uh, Andrew Schultz's podcast. Mm-hmm. I, and apparently, like, you couldn't even see it. You just saw it through a screen. The irony of, like, going to the bottom of the ocean and then seeing the Titanic through a screen. I didn't realize You that. could have done it from the surface. You could have done it from your home. Yeah. And by the way, with much better clarity and resolution and, and less death. Uh, I, yeah. What's amazing is that well we we often 
um, we feel as though I should do something, right? Because I'm with you. I don't have a bucket list either. It'd be cool to go to Alaska. And you and I have, have joked that we're going to uh, do a everywhere we've never been tour. Yeah. There, we, we've gone to 49 <laughs> states together and nine of the 10 provinces in Canada. And so it's like, well, why don't we just go to the nine states we haven't toured in though? So we haven't done a tour stop in Delaware. We haven't done right. one in... Um, Kansas. We've done one in Kansas City, but not in Kansas, right? We we haven't done one in uh, Wyoming. And we there are a few other states. New Hampshire, we haven't yeah. gone and done tour stops. Alaska, we've never even been to Alaska. Have yeah. you done South Carolina? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few times. Nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We did uh, three tour stops in South Carolina in 2014. Wow. Uh, we did Charleston, right? Home of T.K. Coleman, right. former home of T.K. Coleman. <laughs> Uh, we did, what's the other big cities in, in South Carolina? Where did John Morant grow up? Uh, the south side of Chicago, right? No, I thought John Morant was... <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, God, How tough he is. Um, mm. Yeah, and then we did uh, Greenville as well. Mm. Pronounced beautiful Greenville. Place. Yeah, Greenville. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more Montana activities. So like snowboarding. Um, you can snowboard around here. It just takes... A, a little bit longer to get there, mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. more expensive. Really awesome, <clears throat> really awesome mountains though. Yeah. But like, do where we live, there's a hill that's 20 minutes away from me that is perfectly fine, and the lift ticket's like 40 bucks. And, yeah. and now, that's probably a little bit more now. But so. and now that you've been gone for so long, you realize like, oh, when I lived there, I kind of took this for granted. Oh, yeah. I could just go there tomorrow, but we don't have to take it for granted. It's mm-hmm. right there. I can go there right now. It's just like the beach. Or mm-hmm. for me, in Ojai, there's this meadowland right next to our house, and oh, I yeah. go there almost every day. But almost no one in our neighborhood goes through all these hiking trails, and it's simply because I don't take it for granted. I've chosen not to take it for granted. And the same thing is true with those snowboarding hills for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I realized I was taking the sunshine in LA for granted um, because I there was a certain day where I was like, oh, I should go out and enjoy this nice day. I'm like, oh, I'll get the nice day tomorrow. And the sad part is, is it's, there is a nice day tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but then like the beginning, you know, four months of this year, I was like, oh man, I really took that sunshine for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, still I, easy to do sometimes. Let's talk about OPP, other people's opinions, mm-hmm. uh, OPO. <laughs> um, one thing that's always impressed me. <laughs> uh, what would Freud say about well, that? Not, well, not other people's problems, <laughs> other people's opinions. I got you. Uh, so one thing that impresses me about mm-hmm. you is I feel like you have this completely disarming quality of non-defensiveness. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen people try to bait you into getting into arguments and even if you really care about the issue, you're just like, I don't have to participate in an argument. Mm-hmm. Every debate is okay if I'm not a participant in it. And like, that's just such a cool level-headed approach. And I, I know from some of the stories you all have told, there have been things over the 12 years you've gotten some harsh negative rev- reviews about. I'm not even talking about like somebody on a, on a YouTube comment like, oh, mm-hmm. you're stupid. But just like, I, I forgot the story, but uh, the, the name of the person, but but there was that write-up of that person who was just like scathing. Uh, it was some major uh, magazine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys have taken big heat before. Mm-hmm. And how do you, have you always been like this? If not, how did you develop the quality of saying, I don't let other people's negative opinions of me being a public figure mm-hmm. get to me? And, and how do you balance that with, the commonly accepted social media wisdom 
that you need to pay attention to some of the feedback, including the negative, because that's how you learn. That's how you make people feel seen and so on. Yeah. So being able to differentiate between the feedback and criticism is huge. We talked about that a lot on this podcast, but yeah, if someone has feedback, feedback is presented as, hey, there was something that was done wrong here. Here's how it could have been done right. Criticism is like, these guys are jerks, you know. This is crap. This seagull effect. They just come in, they shit on your thing, and then they fly away, and they look at you smugly. Um, Yeah, and it's it's easy for people to do that. So I think I understand that, A... I mean, hell, dude, I am, I used to be one of those people. I mean, before the minimalists, like, you know, on, what did they have before? What did they have before uh, Facebook, MySpace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friendster. <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> um, so I, I was that person. Yeah. And like, I understand why people do it. So I think knowing that um, a piece of it is knowing that when I was that person, like, yeah, I might've felt that way in the moment. But if I ever like saw that, person or whatever, you know, face to face, like, Hey, I would never talk to them like that. Probably would have a different attitude about them. So the internet is something that allows people to do that. But it took me a while to get there. Um, but then even if something does bother me at a certain point, like I'll give you the one thing I really regret is, um, when we were in Sydney and I let that get to me when people started like blowing us up after the event. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, what happened? Um, it's our second time in Sydney. Second time in Sydney, might have been the biggest show we ever did. Was yeah, it, it was 2000? like 2,000 people. Yeah, it was like yeah. 2,000 people. I mean, as far as like the minimalist tour goes. Um, and it was it was a very nice event in the sense that we came out and it was very structured. We did what we did. Um, the people, the people, they got their, tor- they got their torches and pitchforks and <laughs> the thing is there was, there was probably two dozen of them yeah, that had a problem that's, ex- that's exactly it so what they were saying was basically like this is crap we got ripped off and so here's the thing is that wait 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 uh they're, they're in the audience no inspiration do, doing this during the show no, no 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 this is the next day on facebook they came to like okay. criticize us okay yeah yeah sorry to make that clear so um they're criticizing us with um you know uh, this was crap what a waste of money it wasn't very inspiring um, whatever, like all of this stuff. Yeah, the yeah. biggest complaint was it, that we didn't go long enough. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, we're used, what we're trying to do is keep it concise for them, but they had an expectation that was going to be two and a half hours instead of an hour and 25 minutes. Yeah. Sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. But they were upset. They, they were, were upset. Yeah. So do, they hit something that I was already upset about with, with myself, which is how much we charge for tickets. Mm. Cause it was, it was expensive. Expensive relative to what we've done in the past. I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know how much the tickets were, but regardless. So because there was already this judgment of myself on how much the tickets were. And then these dozen or two dozen people like highlighted it. Like it was just, um, it was actually the last time I think I ever let anything like that get to me because I remember letting it get to me and blowing up and blown up as much as I do. And, um, like Josh and I talked about it and it was fine. And like Josh totally talked me off the ledge um, and didn't feel better about, I didn't feel better about that. If anything, it was like, okay, you learned a lesson. Like, what was the lesson? Do you need to charge less? And um, 
that was not the lesson, but the lesson was like, hey, when something gets to you, like you do get a choice. Mm-hmm. If you want to blow up, you can blow up, but you're not going to feel any better about it and you're just going to make it worse. What I've noticed about Ryan, just from an observer's point of view, mm-hmm. is Ryan still gets bothered by things. The difference now is he doesn't react the same way because usually it's our reaction that makes the bother worse. Yes. When you get bothered by something, that's okay. It just means I have a misaligned expectation. Or it also could mean that I'm looking to be bothered. If you're looking to be bothered, you will be bothered. I did a whole video about this, right? And what happens is in that scenario Ryan's talking about, he was bothered because there was something that already bothered him beforehand. And what it calls him to do is to miss out on the hundreds of comments that were like, what an awesome show last night. I can't believe you guys came all the way over to Sydney. Yeah. And then he saw the, how could it only be an hour and 25 minutes or whatever it was, yeah. right? I feel ripped off because of it. And neither one of those comments are wrong. It's just someone's opinion. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking for something to be bothered by, I'll find it in those comments. If I'm looking for something to be elated by, I'll find it in those comments, Right. The difference now with Ryan is he doesn't react in the way that he or I used to react. Mm. I'm going to respond. I must respond to this. I must defend myself. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, wow, fascinating that someone thinks that way. What can I learn from this? Yeah. Anyone who is stuck in that seagull mode, I, I mean, I really have a lot of compassion for them. The fact that like, they haven't been able able to observe how little, in fact, I would, it might even be less than nothing that that does for anyone. I mean, they feel like they're standing up for a just cause, but it's like, you're, it's the littlest thing you could do for a just cause. Oh, I've said my, said my words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm going to go have a slice of pizza. That's that concern clutter that we were talking about earlier. Like yeah. when I feel... I should be outraged by something. Oh, I'm so concerned. In fact, there's even a term for it online. They call it concern trolling, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're pretending you're concerned for someone, but you're really just finding a way to pour salt in the wound a little bit. Mm. Also heard that referred to as white knight syndrome. Yes. Mm. I'm going to swoop down and save somebody who may or may not need to be saved, who may or may not want any help with the hope that I will be seen as a hero and reward it with affection for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, last question for you. Mm-hmm. It, it, there may be a, a couple of questions baked into this though. I want to talk about comedy because mm-hmm. I, I know you and I have talked offline about how we both have this uh, passion for comedy and and we've even talked here on this show about stand-up comedy being dead. And I, I, I don't, we only did that as a segment where Josh was kind of making the case about why it's dead. And, you know, I, I asked some questions mm-hmm. about it, but I would like to hear from you on this topic. If you think comedy is dead, what do you think is the future of, of comedy? And even going back in your own life, I, I know growing up in a religious home, there were certain restrictions and constraints. Were you even allowed to watch comedy? Because a lot of comedy can be, you know, raunchy or like, you know, out there and risque. Yeah. You know, did you have to sneak it in, smuggle it in the home? Like, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your relationship with this thing that you love and what you think the future of it is. Oh, it's a great side interest. I love going to comedy shows. I have this weird thing where like when a comedian tells a joke, I'm like, man, that joke is so funny. If they could have punched it like this, mm. it would have been so much funnier. So then that, then I'm like, well, you should do comedy then, Ryan. Like, don't tell him how he should do. Don't tell them how they should do their, like you do your own comedy. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's like a side hobby. I love talking about it. Um, especially with other people who just kind of enjoy those moments. I think it's a really awesome tool to like talk about things that are hard to talk about. And regardless of what you're talking about, like if you're getting that laughter from people like that laughter is medicine. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. So to be able to like offer that, I know that for me, like laughter has been such a huge, huge uh, dose of medicine when I really, really needed it. And um, I think for Josh too. I mean, we, we, we joke about the darkest shit that like we would never joke about around anyone else because they, they aren't as traumatized as us. Yeah. <laughs> and in the, a weird way, the things that help heal our trauma would traumatize other people. Yeah. When we're being yeah. overly absurdist, just to clarify with the, the stand-up comedy being dead, what I'm saying is it's dead for me because there are other ways that I find humor to be much more humorous mm -hmm. than, to me, the extemporaneous, um, the extemporaneous, yeah, the extemporaneous thought and then conveying of humor in the moment to me is so much more funny than a pre-planned, pre-written joke. But that's for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not condemning stand-up comedy for anyone else. Like, sure. If you like to watch silent films, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's an antiquated art film. You you can't like that. Right. For me, it just it doesn't resonate the same way. Mm -hmm. However, there are still a few stand-up comics who really, um, who, who really get me to, to laugh out loud. But for the most part, the things that I laugh the most, uh, Ryan has given me so many more laughs than any stand-up comic. It's not even close. Mm -hmm. The amount of times that I've, I've fallen over in, in, in extreme pain because I can't stop laughing from our conversations, it's <sighs> countless times. Yeah. yeah. Likewise, yeah. dude. Likewise. My favorite, the last hardest laugh that I remember having with you where I was like, oh my God, like I, I can't stop, please, was when we were in the green room watching uh, So I Think You Should Leave. <laughs> Which I, it's funny because like the more I watch it, the funnier it gets. It's really weird how that show works. But, uh, give me uh, Ryan's recommendations. Give me a, 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 oh, a I would favorite. Not well, okay, forget I would not recommend that show. <laughs> Take recommendations out. Yeah. Uh, one favorite comedy movie. It's a go-to that makes you laugh. One favorite uh, stand-up special. Oh, uh, Dumb and Dumber, hands down. Oh, so good. <laughs> we landed on the moon. Oh my God. Dude, that's so, that, but that's the type of humor I like. Like yeah. The Simpsons because of Homer Simpson. And then it's funny because The Simpsons caught on to that formula and then Bart started to get dumber and like a lot of the other characters started to get really, you know, obtuse. Um, so, I, yeah, I love that type of humor. Um, Stand-up special. Mm. Man. Maybe comedian because specials I, are real particular. Yeah, uh, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. Um, Chappelle. Chappelle is like, mm. and what I love about Chappelle is, um, man, like I always liked his comedy. I just love how he can take you one way and then like punch you in the face with something different. Um, but the, the, he did a speech except, uh, accepting, it wasn't the Mark Twain. It was when he, it was when they were naming the arts building after him at his old high school in Washington, D.C., and I, I would highly recommend that because it's funny. It's, it's funny. But you really get a glimpse into why Dave Chappelle is the way he is. And I had no idea. I had no idea how he became who he was. I just thought he was some kid who was like, I'm going to go to comedy clubs. It's way more complicated than that. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, th- there's not really a documentary of him or anything, is there? That's like the closest thing I could think of that would give you a glimpse into like how he became Dave Chappelle from His early award on. acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. Wait, the Chappelle show is not a documentary? <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked too. <laughs> hey, g- growing up, was your family really into it? Because I'm, I'm asking because for me, I know like oh. uh, secular music and sec- secular movies when I was a kid, like mm. that we had to smuggle that in. Yeah, my... So my, no, I mean, my family was too busy taking things seriously to laugh at stuff. My dad, I remember my dad talking about like the old Bill Cosby special that he really liked and some Robin Williams stuff. And, Hmm. but like he never brought it into the home. If I was watching stuff, then it was on my own accord. And if it was the Simpsons, he would be like, turn that off. Yeah. yeah. That's worldly. Okay, dad. So I'd have to go to my mom's and watch it. What's yeah. that? Well, I'm, I'm glad you discovered comedy and I'm looking for the Ryan Nicodemus stand-up <laughs> special, man. <laughs> Dude, there is something. Anyone listening to this, you want to be my comedy coach and help me with uh, minimalist jokes? There is some low-hanging fruit there. I know there is. <laughs> Ryan, we've been mentioned a lot in the media over the years and I pulled out a few of my favorite quotes. I'm just going to read my favorite quote of all time. This one's from New York Magazine. Quiet, whip-thin, with a feline face and swept-back hair, Milburn wakes up before 4 a.m. every day to write the minimalist material. Nicodemus is stockier, with long, dark locks, like an aging metal guitarist, and contributes a gregarious charisma. Kyle can write, man. (laughs) Come on, dude. That dude... I don't know I, I look like a cat, but okay, I'll take it. No, but I mean the way the way that it was written though, like it wasn't um I, I can't even explain it. It was it was I respect that. It's and a compu salt. It's a compu salt. It absolutely is. Read about what they read about my mother. Or what they wrote uh, about my mother. I don't don't have that here, oh, but it was they're talking about, about her gruff voice. Her gruff voice. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. And uh it's funny because that article in and of itself it was like the perfect mix of compu salts. Like mm-hmm. it was talking about the value that we're adding, you know, the with the charm of their buddy act, the minimalists have become the minimalist movement's American ringleaders. Mm-hmm. But then also talking about like, oh, but also you're an aging metal guitarist, but he's filled with charisma. Right. And you're like, okay, it's this roller coaster of like, you could tell he didn't want to give us, it didn't, it wasn't a puff piece at all. No. Uh, in fact, it was critical of us. Uh, but in a way that I thought advanced the message. And so sometimes the, the feedback that you get from something like that is you get a better understanding of how you're perceived by the world. Not because I want to be perceived differently, but mm. oh, it does make sense that people perceive me this way. And if I don't want to be perceived that way, mm. then I'm going to have to make some considerations along the way. Yeah. My mom was pissed about the gruff voice comment. She was like, couldn't you have had him written something? I'm like, you think I have control over it? I'm like, welcome <laughs> to my world, mom. They call me an aging metal guitarist. <laughs> oh, man. There's, there's a quick, interesting story behind that article. So we do that article. We do that interview. He's on tour with us. He's talking to us. He's he's a good journalist. And then as we part ways, Josh is like, you know, that's the dude that wrote, what was the title of it? The New York Times? He wrote an article called The Oppressive Gospel of Minimalism. Oppress- yeah. No, that's so good. And it was funny because that came out before I had this ability to like let that pass through me or like to examine it and then let it go. And, uh, Josh very intentionally did not say anything to anyone about him 
writing this article and I'm so glad you didn't say anything because I couldn't have handled it then. And, uh, I, oh, I mean, I probably could have handled it, but, um, it it worked out great. But, but the fact that he reached out to us, you knew exactly who he was. And it wasn't a matter of like, no dude, like you wrote this scathing article about us. You were like, you know what, come and see what we really do. And he, he did a good job of expressing what we really do. Well, that first article, The Oppressive Gospel of Minimalism, was a 2D cutout of us in a way, right? It wasn't the real thing. He couldn't see the 3D version. There was only one way to show him the 3D version Mm -hmm. was to bring him out on tour with us and have him talk to the people who have been influenced or affected by our work from our live events. So he interviewed a bunch of people from our minimalist.org meetup groups. He sat down with people from the crowd who were there at our event at Bogarts. And uh, he was on tour with us. He actually got to see us, not the image that was online, but actually spend time with us. And that's why Mm. I love that we're going to be doing these Friday afternoon minimalist Zoom calls because you get to spend time with us. It's great that we have a podcast now, but at the time we had a podcast, but it wasn't like there were as many people listening to it. And now that we have a way to connect with you directly, you get to see the, the 3D version of us and we get to see the 3D version of you yeah. as well. Yeah. You got any more questions, TK? When you were making the decision to move back to Montana, what's the biggest fear or discomfort you had to confront? Not having access to Josh as much. I mean, that was, that's a piece of it. It was fear of like, this is my mentor, dude. Not just for the minimalist, but like through corporate world and grade school, high school. I mean, you know, we've been through a lot. So not having that access was, it's scary not to, I mean, I still have the access, but it's, it's different. Like Zoom's different. Phone's different. Yeah. FaceTime's different. You know, the in-person, like I said, those little lunches that we have, like that's, you can't replicate that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got one more. Okay. And I'll I'll end my quote unquote. All right. And you can't tell me I don't care. You can't give me that minimalist answer of, oh, it doesn't matter to me. It's got to (laughs) matter. Okay. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say about you and your Oh, I don't know, man. If I was to die today. Mm -hmm. There's a song by, um, is it Abraham Alexander or Alexander Abraham? Mm. Yeah, Alexander Abraham, I think. Yeah, yeah. That album is like, it's just it's so much better the more I listen to it. Um, he's got a lyric, if I was to die today, what is it I would tell you? Um, I would just say, you know, um, yeah, you really fucking overcame a lot and set a good example. And isn't that what you always wanted since you were a kid? And it really is. Like, I remember that, I remember that story of, uh, um, it was in my book of Bible stories. Mahalik remembers those from our indoctrination. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a story about David getting visited by an angel. And the angel was like, hey, man, you're going to be king. What do you want? And he was like, I just want wisdom. And God was like, ooh. He's like, you didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for power. You didn't ask for women. He's like, I'm going to give you wisdom and everything else. And it was funny because like as a kid, I appreciated the 
humility of like just wanting wisdom out of life. And as a kid, I could see how much, how much more valuable that is than anything else. And so it's really been nice to like connect to that over these, you know, last however many years and to can continue to connect to it. But, um, it's funny cause I got everything else first and then the wisdom came. When <laughs> <laughs> it tends to show up. Yeah. Yeah. The angel was like, Ryan, what do you want? And Ryan was like, man, I want money. I want cars. I want ladies. I want looks. I want prestige. I want it all. <laughs> the angel was like, all right, I'll give you that. And yeah. Hopefully once we get that out the way, you can get some wisdom. Yeah. But no, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I have some wisdom. I've got, I'm, I'm really happy with, I'm really happy with the lessons I, that I've learned and been able to like, you know, transfer those on and impart those lessons to anyone who is willing to listen. And, and each chapter brings some new lessons along with it. Yeah. I'm excited to see what these new lessons will be going for. And we'll continue to talk about it on this show and beyond, mm. even even when you are remote. I'm looking forward to hearing about those lessons, whether it's on the show or just uh, on a phone call. Yeah. The lessons you're you're learning from from whatever this new chapter is. Yeah. Um, there's two things I want to talk about that I think is really important for the audience to hear. Um. One is the walk that we had when this conversation first started. And so I'd like to talk about that if you're open to it. And then the second thing is what I had to like battle with while we were like working everything out. So uh, Josh and I are walking, we're talking about his health. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm reading this book, German New Medicine. And he's like, it's interesting how it kind of talks about a lot of the pain that we have in life, physical pain that we have, I think 70% is, was the number. But I don't remember the stat. It, yeah. But he, this, this Nobel Prize winning scientist wrote a book about how 70% of the physical pain we carry is mental. And there's some undealt with trauma, resentment. There's something that we're holding on to and it shows up somewhere else in our body. So... Josh is explaining this to me and I had always told him like, dude, I think your stomach stuff is stress. Like, I th and he's like, no man, like I, but when I'm feeling good, I can do so much work. I'm like, yes, I get that. But the doing the work, carrying everything is like, it might be stressing you out. So this is the first opportunity that I saw where he, he was starting to kind of connect with it. And I had this thought of like, man, if I, I always, I always said to Josh, if I had $10 million in my bank account, I'd empty it all to like, make you better if that's what it took. I would go bankrupt if that's what it took to make you feel better. And what I saw here was an opportunity for me to put my money where my mouth was. And I'm like, look, dude, I know you carry a lot. And if we have to change how this is, like I'm open to that because that is, that is one of the hardest things I've ever had to say. Like, but being able to love someone that much and like to give them something so big, that's a good feeling, man. You know? Yeah. And I, and, and the thing too is like, dude, you've, dude, you give, you've given us all gifts, you know? Mm. And like, this is my, I saw it as an opportunity where I was like, oh, I can give Josh a gift back. Yeah. I can, I can relieve him of the stress that he has of like making this thing, you know, be what it is. And what's great is it's still going to be something. It's just. Josh is going to have a little less stress, a little less on his plate. And, um, 
Yeah, man. Like, I'm so glad. Like, how have you been feeling since we had this talk? It's funny you say that. Um, you asked that question. I've, up until yesterday, I've been feeling really good. But then as I'm going through all the notes for this episode, yeah. it just brought up, and my, like, I had the worst few days yesterday and today of, like, um. stomach pain. And it's fascinating how it's all situated. So, uh, for those of you who are uninformed, uh, back in 2018, I started to develop this autoimmune disease, a bunch of mm. ulcers in my small bowel, and uh, extreme intense pain, you know, gut issues, etc. A lot of people have gone through, we've talked about in previous episodes, so I won't bring it back up. But a lot of that does seem to be attached to some sort of stressors or... Mm-hmm. Um, in, in German New Medicine, they call it like territorial anger or undigestible mor- morsels. Mm. And it just means you feel like you're, either your territory has been threatened or there's some sort of trauma you're not able to digest uh, as a metaphor, right? Or now, a combination of yes, the, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or a combination yeah. of the two. Yeah. And I didn't realize the amount of weight that I felt from carrying the majority of the work for the last you know, 13 years or whatever it yeah. was, right? And I didn't realize that, oh, there's some resentment here mm. that I've denied for a, a long period of time. Yeah. And um, that was a blessing, though, because it opened up a door for some really meaningful conversations between us. Yeah. Hey, man, where are we going to go from here, right? Because anything's on the table. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a necessary ending that has to happen here. Mm-hmm. But where do we go from here so that we flourish? And ever since we had that first conversation in February, I started feeling a little bit better. Yeah. A little bit better. A lot better as the weeks pass. And I realized like, oh, I'm setting some stuff down. There's an ending that has to happen here mm. so that I can heal. Yeah. The 10 million bucks would have been easier to give. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to find it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> We'll go, to our, we'll go to our audience. We're starting to go fund me $10 Oh, shit, man. So um, I just want to share that with the audience because um, it was a difficult thing to like to process, man. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a difficult thing to jump in there and um, yeah, to do something harder than giving away $10 million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted, I'm sorry. We don't have to move on, TK. You got anything else? So um, the other thing, so then, so then it's like, okay, I get to move back to Montana. Like, this isn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> like, this is kind of cool. You know, that's why I said like going, leaving, going to Montana is the worst thing that has happened, but it's also the best thing that has happened. Um, you know, Josh and I were working out just the nitty gritty of all this stuff. And man, my ego really wanted to like, just cling to as much as I could. And I don't know how to talk about this um, without going into the nitty gritty, which we don't need to, but just the, um, dude, we, you know, like we've been doing this for 13 years and Mm. the ego is like, uh, yeah, Josh did a lot of work, but think about all the work you did and da da da, you know, like it just wants to like really hold on to it. But I'm like pushing through that wall like pushing through this thing that wanted to cling to like everything that I could with the minimalists and um, whatever it was, like it just kept coming up. But like, because of that context that we first, that's the first thing we talked about, even before we started talking about how it was going to kind of unfold. 
It was like, what do you want out of this? And anytime that little ego would come up, I'm like, this isn't helping you be a better friend. This isn't, this is, this is not enabling you to give this gift that you really want to give Josh, you know? And but I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'll tell you that I, what I found in all of this was, and I think it made it easier and it helped me respect you more by not challenging that ego, right? Mm-mm. Because the ego gets challenged and what does it do? It fights back, yeah. right? And also, and that's just my ego then challenging <laughs> your ego. And instead it was just like, okay, man, what if we just walk away from all of this? Yeah. Like that, that's part of our context. Yeah. We'll be fine. I know I'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Not a problem. But recognize that's one thing we can do. And that helped minimize my ego to a great extent. And I think mm. to a similar extent, yours, where it's like, oh yeah, we don't have to do anything. There's, I don't have to cling to the way things were or the way that I wish things would be or whatever it might be. Yeah. Hey, things are changing with us. There's a letting go that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in that letting go, what are we actually letting go of? And what do we want to continue to hold on to? Yeah. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that was the beautiful thing about this. We realized I've held some guilt for about six years now that Ryan moved out to L.A. Mm. I've never talked about this publicly before. Yeah. But I knew he didn't want to move out to L.A. at the time. But he was, I'll give it a shot for a little while. Wasn't hard to talk me into it. Yeah, uh, L.A. is I mean, awesome. L.A. Right? is awesome. Yeah, yeah. But he's right. Like, I made sure to bitch about how much I miss Montana. Yeah. <laughs> and rightfully so. I totally get why you missed mm-hmm. it. And I felt tremendous guilt. And I think that added to a lot of the stress that I had over the last six years. It's like Ryan is not out here against his will, but a little bit against his will. And he would prefer to be in a different situation. And who's holding him back from that? Yeah. It's me. Mm. And I'm willing to give up whatever in order to prevent that from happening as well. Uh, I'm not willing to move back to Montana myself. I've mm-hmm. already done that thing. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. And and what I recognize throughout all this is like, oh, yes, there can be a way forward. It's just mm-hmm. not going to look like the path that we went down before. Yeah. Those are some of the most difficult conversations I've ever had to have is, was with you, like going through this, man. Yeah, there are a lot of tears from both of us. Yeah, dude. And... <laughs> We all know the Let's Go Brandon story. Burning Man story, mention in three, two, one. Seriously, uh, link to the Burning Man story um, with with Let's Go Brandon. Great story. Um, So pushing through that is what really, it just gave me more inspiration to push through the ego thing. And the lesson that I really want to share here is that when you come up against something that is it's a wall that is preventing you from like doing what you know is the right thing to do. Like something that at your core, you're like, man, I know I need to do this, but I just can't. If you can push through that, like it's, it's one of the best gifts you can give yourself. And pushing through that, the whole wrestling with the ego, like it has changed me as a person. Because, like, I learned so much through that process. And uh, that's the lesson. There's something about the resistance there. Mm-hmm. And so that could be something as simple as going to the gym or getting in the ice bath. But 
having that difficult conversation that starts a series of difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. There's so much resistance there, right? Mm -hmm. There's also resistance for starting to write a book or there's resistance for meeting a new friend, saying hi to someone. We feel that resistance. But quite often that resistance is not a roadblock. It's a beacon. Mm. that's pointing out like, oh, this is probably the direction that I want to travel because what's beyond that Mm. resistance? I know it's going to be hard, but who said it was supposed to be easy? Yeah. I know making this decision is going to be difficult. I know letting go of a thing is really difficult. Mm. I know the way a relationship changes is difficult. Divorce is hard. Separation is hard. Closing a business is difficult. Starting a business is difficult. We feel resistance around all of these things. So what? We have an option here. Don't say anything and keep going down the status quo path. The one that is no longer yielding the results you thought it was going to yield. Mm -hmm. Or you face the resistance. You walk through the resistance. And thankfully, I have someone who can walk through that resistance with me and was willing to listen and the same way that I was willing to listen to you. Yeah. I would love to hear, did you learn anything? Because I mean, I really did get a lot out of this whole thing, man. Like it's just didn't even realize how much was, you know, in that well of this whole discomfort, uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you got out of it, man? Yeah. The biggest thing was resentment. Mm. Resentment is... Whenever our, the way things are, don't align with the way things. Resentment is whenever the way things are, don't align with the way I wish things were. Yeah. The idealized construct that I formed in my head. Mm. The problem with that is we often resent people or situations, but usually people, and they don't even know that I wish this was different, or I wish this was the outcome. And so I build up a resentment, not even, the other person doesn't even know. And in our instance specifically, it was like, oh, I'm doing a whole lot of work here, a whole Mm. lot more work. Yeah. And also I have this guilt around keeping you here For the, which is now fueling my my, my resentment even more. Right. Because I'm feeling guilty for doing the work that is keeping you somewhere where you don't want to be. God, I'm getting stressed out thinking about this. Yeah, it's been mm-hmm. stressful conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Ryan wants to be here, but not as much as he wants to be there. Mm. And so mm. it wasn't like I was, and that made it strangely worse because if I knew like, I definitely don't, Ryan hates LA, doesn't want to be here. Let me release you. It's easy. But it's like, no. Ryan likes here, but he really, really likes being there. And mm. so I've, I built up a guilt that I didn't even realize I was building. And so what happened is I started to uncover this resentment and this guilt, and each was fueling the other. Mm. Right. The yeah. more guilt that I felt, the more resentment that I I harbored. Mm. And as my resentment grew, it was like, well, I'll just do more and more. Well, now my guilt, because Ryan still isn't able to go where he wants to go. Mm. Well, there's a way out of this. Yeah. And we can find that way out together. And that's what ultimately we decided. Let's yeah. sit down and figure out the way out together. Yeah. And, you know, at the root of both the guilt and the resentment is this underlying 
philosophy of should. I should do X. And although I don't want to do X, I'm going to force myself to do it because I oughta. And he should do Y. And the fact that he isn't doing Y gives me the right to blame him for this misery that I feel. Yeah. I'll tell you this, though. I, I think one of the bigger problems is I didn't blame Ryan sooner. <laughs> and here's what I mean by I've that. I've been blaming myself for 13 years, brother. <laughs> well, it, I didn't blame him because I, there was nothing to blame him for, or so I thought. Hmm. And ultimately, here's the funny thing. There still was nothing to blame him for. Any resentment that I felt had to do with my own expectations. Right. And, and so what happened here is if I would have gotten to a point sooner where I could have blamed Ryan, I would have first realized how absurd the blame was. And that's what happened early on. When Ryan actually came to me, I think it was 2013, mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, Josh, you're doing more of the work. How do we split this up more equitably or whatever? And yeah. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, right? You know what he said to me? What? This is important. I said, I said uh, exactly what he just said. Um, how do we split it up? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, let's talk about, you know, how, how we do this thing like business-wise. And he was like, what do you want to do? Like, you know, move away from the 50-50? And I'm like, yeah. And he looks at me and he's like, that's not a partnership. Mm. And I was like, okay. I will take that in. Like, still didn't feel great about it. But just the, the level of commitment that you had, it, it was um, it was inspiring for you to be like, no, no, that doesn't feel like a partnership to me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, I think... There was something there early on where I, that was when I began to sweep it under the rug mm. because the partnership, yeah, 50, 50, but also like 50% of the work 50, and it just, it never worked out that way. Mm. And the nice thing is you and I have never kept a, a ledger, uh, in the sense that like, I'm doing this now you should do this. So I wrote one page. Now I need you to write one page or yeah. whatever it yeah. might be. Right. But also, um, being able to recognize those emotions without sweeping under the rug is not mm. something I've ever been great at. Yeah. And and so finally, when you and I started having these conversations, I started experiencing some emotions that I hadn't experienced in a long time. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm glad that we can, I don't know, man. I, this is so important for people to know, like how this is all went down because this is, it's, uh, it was difficult. But like, I hope... I hope someone listening to this is like, you know, they're holding a grudge against their mom because they cheated or something on their dad or like, you know, just like Mm -hmm. these things that we hold grudges on, these things that we want to feed, these things that we we know we shouldn't hold on to, but we just can't let them go. It's like you can't let it go. And there's something amazing on the other side when you let it go and when you start having the difficult conversations. Did your mom ever cheat on you? At least I have a mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> how, many, how many times I got to quit this podcast? Oh, shit, man. Oh, my God. I'm going to become Shout a me. I'm going to quit every episode. <laughs> I have some resentment and mm. guilt. Mm. All right. We've gone almost four hours today. This was great, man. Instead of ending on a really heavy note, I thought maybe we could end on something upbeat that you and I could take away as we sort of look in the rear view and we're looking forward. And I was wondering, 
We've learned a lot over the last 13 years as the minimalist. We've formed a lot of rules in our own lives. And I thought maybe we could talk about our five favorite minimalist rules mm. that we've come up with. Okay. Now, 16 of them are, are in our free minimalist rule book, which people can download over at theminimalists.com. It's completely free. And then we've made up a bunch of other rules along the way on our YouTube channel mm. and other places that people can check out. But of all of the rules, which by the way, they're not really rules. They're just boundaries. They're completely elastic. They're adjustable to your life. Ryan, I'm wondering, what is your favorite of all of these lessons we've learned over the last 13 years? Yeah, spontaneous combustion, for sure. Mainly because of how the story came about, but it is such a simple rule. I mean, just looking at anything. The spontaneously combusted, when I replace it, it's like it just put things into perspective really quickly. I did this in Ireland with someone who was talking about having a storage unit and how much they spent on it. And da, 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 da. This was just like a random person. Um and I didn't even tell them about, you know, the minimalist or anything. But I was like, if that stuff spontaneous, spontaneously combusted, how would you feel? They were like, oh, I feel so relieved. And they were like, I needed that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's a very simple, very quick to the point rule. And that the fascinating thing about that rule, and I had it first on my list as well, because I use it all the time with friends. Mm -hmm. Because like with closets, especially people go in their closet, if those clothes spontaneously combusted, would you replace all of them? Well, God, no, that would be awful. Why would I do that? Okay, why would I hold on to them, right? Mm. And I would say the same thing is true. We would talk about some he heavy things today, even with our relationship, Ryan. Yeah. No, if our if the if our relationship spontaneously combusted, I would not replace it with the old version. Mm -hmm. I would replace it with this new version yeah. of our relationship. Yeah. And that's always what we're asking with a rule like that is if something spontaneously combusted, if your career spontaneously combusted, you were laid off, would you go back and get the same exact career? If so, great. That means you're in the most appropriate job. Yeah. If the purple t-shirt I'm wearing right now is for the special occasion of Ryan Nicodemus celebrating Ryan Nicodemus, if it were to spontaneously combust, well, I guess I'd replace it right now, but tomorrow <laughs> I probably wouldn't replace it because it's going to serve its purpose today. I'm not going to keep clinging to it. I think that's what that rule really highlights. Any of these rules, the more you can apply them to non-physical things, that's really where the value is with these rules. Yes. It's sneaky because it deals with the physical things, but... It's just the start. Yeah, man. What's your second favorite? Uh, twenty twenty rule. Yeah. That was just... That, that's pretty mind-boggling because it was just something we came up with and, I'm, and it's really worked so well. Yeah, we call it the just-in-case rule. Yeah. Anything you're holding on to just-in-case, you can replace for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes from wherever you are. And that has given me permission to let go of tens of thousands of just-in-case items. Yeah. And the cool thing is you never have to use it. I think we invented that rule 12 years ago. And between the two of us, we've used it five times. Mm -hmm. So it's cost of what? Maybe a hundred bucks. Who wouldn't pay a hundred dollars to get rid of tens of thousands of items that are just getting in the way? Yeah. But that rule also applies to what? I'm holding on to this career just in case. I'm holding on to this relationship transactionally just in case. What are you holding on to just in case mm. that you'd feel freer if you just let it go? Yeah. Here's another one for you. The seasonality rule. That was my third one too. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. We also call it the 90-90 rule. Are yours in this order as well? Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. And so the 90-90 rule for me is like, okay, have I worn this shirt in the last 90 days? 
will I wear it in the next 90 days? And if not, I give myself permission to let go. But that seasonality rule can be expanded to whatever. It could be the one year, one year rule. You can apply it to anything. If you own a chainsaw, if you own a couch, or you own a chair, or you own a blender, whatever it is, have I used in the the last 90 days? Will I use it in the next 90 days? If the answer is no to both, let it go. But what about the seasons of our relationships as well? Mm. We were just reading from Necessary Endings, Uh, from Dr. Henry Cloud. And in here, he talks about the seasons. A season ends so a new season can begin. Guess what happens if you don't end a season, though? You hold on to something that isn't serving you anymore. Something Mm -hmm. that did serve you is now this this burden. You keep holding on. And the seasonality rule just tells me, all right, this season for this has come. And this season is over. Let's make way for the new season. Yeah. What, when I was thinking about that, uh, that rule, it was really about how, when we first did the packing party and I was looking at all the clothes in my closets and I'm like, well, I do use some of these. And I think it was, it would think it was your idea where you're like, well, you know, I've used it in the last year. You're going to use it in the next year. I'm like, oh, that's good. Like that. Cause it gave me permission to hold on to way more than I should have. But that made me feel good, right? Because I could hold on to a bunch of stuff. But it also gave me permission to let go of so much. Yeah, it was a start. The one year was a great was starting a great point. Start, yeah. And you realize like, oh, maybe 90 days is more appropriate. Yeah, now I'm like, a year is way too much <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. And even for me now, I'm close to 30 days on most of my clothes. It's you're gonna just... Tomorrow, you're going to be like one day on that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting donated immediately after this podcast. Have I worn this yesterday? Yes. Well, will I wear it tomorrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, another rule that really mm. stood out to me is this one has helped me with impulse so much, the mm. wait for it rule. Mm-hmm. We also call it the 30-30 rule. It's easier now than ever to act on impulse. It's okay to wait as well. And so if I'm, this originally started because being at the checkout line at the grocery store, I'll just grab this pack of gum or this candy bar or whatever. Something that I know intellectually is unhealthy for me, but in the moment I feel the impulse, I might as well. I'm just right here. Yeah, And so what I've done now because purchasing is so ubiquitous. One click purchases. I can get it right now. I can get it delivered same day. Well, in Montana, it'll be the next day or two days later, but you get the point. (laughs) Talk about creating friction. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's exactly what you do because Mm -hmm. you think about like, oh, absolute convenience removes all friction. What happens when you remove all friction? You lose traction. When you've lost traction, you begin to careen. It's like an ice skating ring. And I don't know how to skate very well with impulse. And so what you're learning to do by adding a little bit of friction is you're skating with the impulse. You might want the thing 30 hours from now, but if you postpone it, there's a good chance you might not want it as well. Put some distance between me and the impulse, and all of a sudden, oh, that thing is less enticing 30 hours later. And Mm. I think that's true with career decisions. Mm-hmm. Let me sleep on it for a night. It's with relationships. Oh, wow. Why did I even get, did I even think about getting into this relationship? Do I want to get into another relationship right now? Maybe I'll wait for it. Mm. And I think that's where the, the wait for a rule applies to our lives outside of material possessions. Oh man, Professor Sean, Professor Sean, get ready to write this down for a minimal maximum. This is good. Um, absolute compulsivity results in absolute misery. Yes. Mm. 
And in the moment, it doesn't Mm -mm. because we are here to gratify our pleasures. And that's why it leads to misery because it's such a little, little ruse that we fall for. Yes. Yeah. These micro indiscretions that in the moment don't make us miserable, but they always lead to misery. If it's just yes, 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 yes to each impulse, guess what happens? We end up at this dead end of misery. Mm. And it's really hard to turn around then at that point. And we often swing the pendulum all the way over. We become ascetics and then we shun all pleasure. And that also can lead to misery. Yeah. But if we're doing desire and pleasure intentionally mm-hmm. by waiting for it, is this kind of pleasure appropriate for me? Is this purchase appropriate for me? Is this relationship appropriate for me? Not a former version of me, mm. but for this version of me right now. Mm. You know, the wait for it rule also applies to criticism, constructive feedback, and contention. It's very easy to think that if I have a problem with what just happened, the best time to address it is when I look and feel angry because then they will see how much it matters to me and they will respond to the way in which my visible, observable anger rumbles the room. That's right. But sometimes... It sends a really powerful signal when you can say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give this 24 hours because I want to process what I feel. I want to understand why that makes me angry. And when I speak on it, I want the weight to come from my conviction and my clarity of thought and not from my body language alone. And you go back to that restaurant. You go back to that family member. You go back to that friend and you say, hey, Yesterday, you did something, you said something that rubbed me the wrong way. And I've given that some thought and I wanted to address that with you. That has a certain kind of gravity about it that's so strong because you're conveying to that person, I care enough to have put some thought into it and to address this from a place that's not rooted in impulse, but that's rooted in conviction. That's how much I care. And that's an alternative to feeling like, well, I just need to, you know, lash out at the moment you ir- that you irritate me. So the wait for it rule applies to so much more than just stuff. Mm-hmm. It applies also to conflict and relationships. I, in fact, one might argue it applies much more in those scenarios. Yeah. However, to add on to it, don't wait too long for it. Mm. And I think that's the lesson of some of the stuff we've been talking about today. Because if you wait too long, oh, I really want to buy those shoes from Amazon. I'm going to wait 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's not going to come to fruition. But the same is true with conflict with someone else. I'll just wait till tomorrow. And if you keep waiting till tomorrow again and again and again, you never make room for that conflict. Mm. And then baby Godzilla turns into adult Godzilla, and Godzilla is taking over the city. So wait for it, but don't wait too long for it, is the lesson that I've told myself. The fifth one that I have here, Ryan, can you guess? The no piles rule. That's a good one. I like it. Or the set the stage. Yeah, setting the stage rule, no piles rule. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes. The fifth one for me is the emergency items rule. Oh, yeah. That's an important one. The emergency items rule is like, hey, these are items. They're just in case items. Yeah. I hope I never have to use these. Yeah. I hope I never have to use this plunger, but I own one. Right. (laughs) Because sometimes I'm full of crap. (laughs) (laughs) And 
emergency items are just in case items that I have on hand. A uh, chains for tires if you're driving through the snow in Montana, or um, if I have a plunger at home, or if I have an, a first aid kit in my car, jumper cables, which I didn't have any, and Ryan had to come out and give me a jump a few weeks ago because I fell asleep in my car on the drive home. And those are, it's an emergency item. I hope Ryan never has to use them, but I'm glad, I'm sure glad that he had them yeah. a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Now, how does this apply outside of material possessions, right? Well, I don't have just-in-case friendships, right? Mm-hmm. But I do have people that I can rely on in case of an emergency. Amen. And Ryan, you're definitely one of those people. You're, you know, you're the first call. You you have a collect call from the Lebanon Correctional <laughs> Institute. It's always from me. Oh, Every time shoot. I get arrested, I have his phone number memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I had like three phone numbers memorized. And yeah, yours is definitely one of them. Oh, shoot. I'll bail you out anytime, buddy. You I appreciate call me. that. Yeah. I'll help you hide at least one body. <laughs> After that, we might have to talk about you having a problem. Yes. Yeah. Impulse. <laughs> hey, Josh, can you wait for it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's All good. right. How do we land this plane, y'all? Going forward, for those of you who are still listening four hours into this episode, You're still going to be seeing Ryan from time to time on the podcast, certainly when he's in town, uh, Mm -hmm. open door there. He's going to be calling in and supported by his cardboard cutout. You'll see a lot more of TK. I'm eager to see how TK's role expands and Mallory's role expands on the show as well. You know, we deviated from the format dramatically. My OCD is flaring up intensely today. I'm so proud of you. But it was a necessary conversation to have because this marks the beginning of a new chapter, a recombobulation point, a recalibration, recalibrating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) He needs a reset guys. (laughs) And, And so I'm eager. I'm thinking about the last page of our second book, Ryan. I reread it yesterday everything that remains. And the Mm -hmm. last page talks about, you know, where's your life going to be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. And it goes into like, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to be. Maybe it'll be this. Maybe it'll be this. And I give like four or five different examples of where my life will be. But the last line of the book, spoiler alert, is no matter what happens, I'm ready for everything Mm -hmm. that remains. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen from here. But I know that As life changes, I'm prepared to let go because I'm preparing for everything that remains. Mm. Flexibility, man. That was the biggest, for me, that was one of the biggest uh, highlights of this whole four-hour thing, man. Because what you're talking about there, what I'm talking about with the ego, what I'm talking about with those hard conversations with anything, dude, like it does come down to flexibility. Even me becoming less flexible requires the flexibility. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So it's like the one that can be flexible when it's needed. Like that is what's going to just help you become the person that you really want to become and be. So the reason why I'm saying this is because I know no matter what happens after this, dude, like we're all pretty flexible. Yeah. And, um, I don't know where it's going to be in three years, but I bet you it'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
you guys make me think about the distinction between an ending and an evolution. An ending is when you terminate a relationship. You say, we're just going to end it right here. Mm. Evolution is when you say, we're going to keep the relationship going, but we're going to change the terms and conditions that characterize how we used to do it. And both have their place, but sometimes evolving is harder than ending because if you have bad habits from the past, like maybe you don't speak up for yourself, it's easier to say, I'm just going to cut off everybody that I have a relationship with and I'm going to go start a bunch of new relationships in the right way. But it can be harder to say, I'm going to stay within the context of the life I've already created and I'm going to start implementing changes. I'm going to be the person that I want to be and face the challenge, face the difficulty of being that in relationships where in the past I didn't always live up to my values. And what I hear from the two of you in your friendship and in this podcast and the way that we're all going to work together going forward is this is not an ending. This is an evolving. Mm. And I'm excited to be part of this evolution and to borrow the lyrics of an old song, the evolution will be televised. Mm. And uh, mm. I'm, I'm excited to see what we create together. But I have a lot of respect for you guys for being willing to face the difficulties that are unique to the decision to evolve because you could have just ended it here. And there will no doubt be some people that will say, well, why didn't you just end it? But you said, I like the life-giving nature of this process. And I want to keep flowing this energy that we've created, even though we're going to have to have some challenging conversations. And you did it. Mm. And that, that, that speaks to the kind of friendship you guys have created. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a little revelation about TK here. We brought you into this, dude. I, I can't think of anyone else we would bring into it like this, man. And that's because we trust you, dude. So it speaks volume to who you are as a person, man. Yeah. I love you, man. I love mm. you too, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! What an episode. Patrons, thank you for your support. We love you. We appreciate you. We're looking forward to the next chapter. Thanks for being on this ride with us. Love people and use things. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it